What are they? Crocodile tongues. Tongues? Long, slimy crocodile tongues boiled in the skull of a dead witch for 40 days and 40 nights. And the gizzard of a pig, the fingers of a young monkey, the beak of a parrot, and three spoonfuls of sugar. And then let the podcast do the rest. Good. Good job. Only took two takes. Very, very good. It only took two takes. Two I'm takes. sick. You're the magic man. I'm the magic man. I have a head cold. Okay, he's got a head cold. Jesus Christ. I, Because I, I, I usually, if we do a musical, I try to butcher one of the songs. Oh, uh, sure. Well, I felt like I couldn't do it. I couldn't do justice to what, what I think are. as memorable as these. Yes, no, which, which, what you think are what? This is what's wild. I will admit, this is a movie I watched a lot as a child, so the songs are just oh. baked into my skull. But... We had this argument on the Princess and the Frog episode. Mm -hmm. I love Randy Newman. I do, too. He is one of my favorite... He's the best. ...musicians of all time. I mean, look... One of my all-time favorite songwriters. Exactly. I love him. I'll admit, he's written a lot of songs over the years, and, you know, some might call him his movie work these days. You know, a little bit of a paycheck thing. I love him. Princess and the Frog songs, save for almost there, pretty forgettable. Right, I really And this, for me, is an example of good Randy Newman story songs, and you seem to have the exact opposite opinion. Look... I haven't seen this film since theaters. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen it in, you know, what is that? It's almost 20 years. Like, 20. Uh, 14, 16, 16 years. Yeah, sure. And I fired this up and I'm mm-hmm. watching it. And then I was like, damn, this is a musical? I like had forgotten. Not I had only that, no memory of the songs. The structure movie. of this movie is pretty much alternating between musical number and action sequence. Yeah. For the middle 40 minutes. It's I mean, got a very odd structure. It's a 70-minute movie. I mean, there's. Right? 40 minutes of stop motion. I was doing the stopwatch yep. on it. Mm-hmm. He goes mm-hmm. into the Peach Minute at 20. Yep. And then at one hour, they land in New York City and he becomes human again. That sounds right. And, right. It's, and it's really over at 70 minutes and then there's long credits. 75. And then very long credits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just funny. It's like 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 40 minutes, stop motion in the middle, long end credits. Just yep. didn't remember the songs. I'm With like sorry. six musical numbers. Five I'm seeing here. Here are oh, the five. I guess there's the one that Randy sings over the end credits. Which is called Good News. I got good news for you in the paper. Gotta read that news. The other songs I'm seeing listed here are My Name is James, uh-huh. That's the Life for Me, yep. Eating the Peach, uh-huh. and Family. I can sing all of these songs by heart, word for word, perfect. Didn't even we get, believe you. Didn't yeah. get an uh, Oscar nomination for any of these songs. It got an Oscar nomination for Best Original Score, Musical, or Comedy. Did it? Yes. Okay. And it weirdly, when they were still were splitting score into I, genres, which, which they I did they only should, for a couple years. do again. Uh, but it, it yeah, weirdly didn't get a song nomination. This is the year after Toy Story. Can uh, you imagine yes. how hot I was on Randy Newman at this I moment can in time? Only imagine. Yeah. Listen, here are the five song nominees this year. It's okay. actually pretty good. Okay, 1996. Yeah, I mean, the movie, lo- well, you know what? Introduce the podcast and introduce our guests, and then we can... Oh, this is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce like a giant peach on a hill, baby. Boing, bump. This is a miniseries on the films of Henry Selleck. It is called Ben Hosley's The Podmare Before <laughs> Castmas. Correct. <laughs> Producer gets top billing on this one. Correct. People will think, did Ben Hosley host every episode? Was he the only one on mic? And you're like, no, actually, it was Griffin and Dave, and they never got credit. That's right. The residuals are pretty good, but they're still bitter about it. Never shut up about it. Yep. Never shut up about it. This is the second film that Tim Burton produced for Henry Selleck. Uh, yes, it was obviously right. less hands-on second this and film, last. even less than Nightmare. Yep. 
but uh, this movie was certainly pushed as once again from producer Tim Burton. They're back. Uh, and when this film was uh, released on Blu-ray about 10 years ago, mm. uh, the Blu-ray disc that I, I popped into my player to watch this last night, uh, it very proudly states on the top of the, the Blu-ray case from the director of Alice in Wonderland. That's where we were at that point in time. That the greatest selling point of this movie was... That it was from, in some vague yep, sense, yep. the guy who made Alice in Wonderland. I don't even remember if they mentioned Nightmare Before Christmas on Probably the box. Not. And it certainly was very big at that point. Um, but this film is called James and the Giant Peach. Yes. It has five certifiable bangers. Five rip-snorting pop hits. Of Randy the Mandy Newman. Clogging up the runtime. I fucking love them. I love these songs. Um, but this, yes, this lost best original or comedy score to sure. Emma, Rachel Portman okay. classic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've also got Mark Shaman for The First Wives Club, okay. Alan Menken for Hunchback, and Helen Zimmer for The Preacher's Wife. Those are the kinds of nominations we yeah. lost yeah, when I they know. stopped splitting up the category. Men in Black got a score nomination. Uh, Remember the, that? I mean, there's that clip. The choreographed that, yes. number. So good. Bring it back. Okay, so I assume that one of the Hunchback songs got nominated? No. Fuck. Which is also rude because that's got a great... You can talk, by the way. You forgot to introduce our guest. I haven't forgotten to introduce our guest. I'm waiting for her to talk. You gotta speak on mic. Come on. I was laughing before. You were laughing. I was giving a little chuckle. Let people know that you approve of what's happening. (laughs) Wait. Wait a second. Wait a second. What? It is fucked up that... Five timers? Hercules didn't get... David is slowly (laughs) unfurling the fingers. Uh I wish I had the smoking jacket I could give her. This is five times main fee. Main fee. One time paywall? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So let's count them. The weight. Avatar, the weight of water. (laughs) David is weighing his own sweet green (laughs) hibiscus berry and clover tea. That's pretty good, actually. The weight of water. Uh Uh-huh. Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yep. A classic. movie that absolutely exists. Yeah, it's a it classic. does. It's a classic. I can prove it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Emma. I just kicked her. <sighs> it's fine. Okay. Now this is the this is the sneaky one. The sneaky. People forget one. about this episode. The We're sne- not on it. Oh, Birds of Prey. <laughs> That's right. Girl Gang episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would say fourth is maybe her most iconic appearance. This is the best day of my life. Yeah, and we finally let her be on a, a good movie, a movie she loves, <laughs> uh-huh. which is it was in the pandemic. Animated film, Why am Treasure I... Planet. Oh, there of you course. Go. Of course, and Emma's beam. Ben knows. Ben remembers. Wow, and here we go. Big five. Big five for our guest, Emma Stefanski. There you Hello. go. The queen Hello. of books and bugs. Books and bugs. Discussing and bugs with a Z. James and the Giant Peach. It was one of these things when we slap Selick on the spreadsheet, we were like, well, obviously, it was Stefanski. Yeah, her name just uh, auto filled <laughs> <laughs> in the spreadsheet. Um, Did you mean to type? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Clippy showed up and yeah. threw it in there. Books and bugs. Yeah, I mean, geez, I honestly shocked. Good point by you that, that Hunchback was ignored because I think Hunchback's got some lovely songs. Do you think they pushed Someday the big ballad? Right. And it was kind of like, eh, we're sick of those Disney Although ballads. I do think that one's good. I mean, th- I think it's fine. The problem is, the best song in the movie is Hellfire, which <laughs> they were never going to nominate. <laughs> but imagine mm. someone performing that. Yeah, yeah. imagine that the, the Oscars. Oscars this was also the masterpiece of sexual repression. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is so good. But that must, because Out There and Someday are kind of like the big ballad yes. I guess. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, what's it called? Uh, King of Fools is a good song. Topsy Turvy. Topsy Turvy. I mean, yeah. Look, whatever. I guess it's just a sign of Disney fatigue that it yes. doesn't get nominated. Because they used to get like three nominations per category. 
hundred percent in those early nineties. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. They would write. They they get the, the ballad, the funny song, yes. and the banger. You know, yes. all three. So now we've got the winner that year was "You Must Love Me" from Evita, which is a sort of a stinker. Okay, but it was kind of like Andrew Lloyd Webber, fucking got. Madonna. You know, yeah. whatever. I remember Andrew Lloyd Webber got yeah. on stage and said, "I'm glad the English patient didn't have a song." And when I was ten, I thought that was funny because the English <laughs> patient was cleaning up. Still funny. <laughs> um, then you have it's just. Ballad Central. Okay. Is uh, okay. Wait. Uh, fuck. Is this the year with the One Fine Day song? Correct. And By you know Kenny why? Loggins. You know why I remember this, right? For the first time in One Fine Day. <laughs> what? What is? Um, I was just singing for the first time in forever from yeah. Frozen in Ballad Four, yeah. which is not what the the song is called Let for the first go. time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> Uh, what? Why? Tell me. Remember what? Remember, I forget who performs it. You talked on stage. about this on the podcast, but I don't remember what it is. They whoever performs it. Oh, it was that they had Luke and Leia yes. as an example of romance. They do a montage right? of the greatest movie couples, and they show like Bogey and Bacall or Casablanca or whatever. Right? They're like love story and all these things, the way we were. And then they show Luke and Leia smiling at each other at the end of Star Wars. <laughs> and the special edition re-release had just right. happened. It was yes. like burning up the box office. And and it was like collective amnesia, because maybe I mean Return of the Jedi had not yet been right. re-released or whatever. I don't know. It was very odd. It was very odd. I think about that all the time. Okay, so one fine day, Avida. There's um, no English patient song. No, but you do have. I finally found someone from the mirror has two faces. So that's Barbara. Sure. Is there a preacher? Uh, and that wife song was like song? that. No, the, but the Barbara song was written by Barbara Streisand, Marvin Hamblish, and Brian Adams. They wow. all came together. Wow. They, their rings glowed. Yeah. <laughs> like their powers combined. Um, for the first time from One Fine Day, which is a James Newton Howard song that was performed by Kenny Loggins. Okay. Because You Loved Me from Up Close and Personal. Oh, Which is sure. a Diane Warren song. Yes. That's a Celine Dion. Right. Bang. Right. That was a so real. fucking good. Yeah. That's kind of because pinnacle. Because you love me. But that's like peak Diane Warren ballad. You were my strength when, when I, I was weak. weak. Um, I, we sung that middle school chorus when, when I couldn't speak. Um, you were my should have won. That should have won because Diane Warren's yeah. never won. The uh, way you love me, but that's it's it's in such a nothing movie like yeah. the Robert Redford Michelle right. Pfeiffer movie, right? Uh, and then this actually should have won. Okay, that thing you do, that which is yeah. so good. That's such By, a good song. by Adam Slicens, you're making yeah. rest in peace. Yeah. Of Fountains, Fountains of Wayne. Yes, that song is so fun. The best fake songwriter of all time. And the movie hinges. That song needs to be yes. a disposable but really yes. catchy. And pop that song hit. has lasted. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know what? I, I will say though. Do you remember when "Lose Yourself" won and people were astounded yes. because it was just like, no, it's an Oscar type of song wins. Right. right it doesn't yeah. matter if the song is good. It doesn't matter if it was a hit. Right. Like Ghostbusters will never win the Oscar. Shaft was seen as a surprise when that won, right. but it always goes to the ballad by the pre-established insider in Hollywood. Well, so Big Fax Machine was against Ghostbusters. They didn't want people calling. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying, since Lose that, Yourself's win there's is been astonishing. the run of like Three Six Mafia, Jai Ho winning, like Great a song. lot of winners that are like, that's just the best song in a movie this year rather than the song that feels most like an Oscar winner. You were my strength when I was weak. Um, the thing you do should have won. Yeah. It's wild that none of these got nominated. Five certifiable bangers. Um, I love them all. Emma, do you remember when you first saw this film? James and the Giant Peach. James and the Giant Peach. I do remember when I first saw this movie. Mm -hmm. 
I saw it. Uh, we didn't but have you won't it. Tell us at my yeah. No, that's the secret. Patreon um, <laughs> answer. <laughs> I was at one of my childhood friends' homes, and I don't remember which one because it would have had to be them mm-hmm. because we did not have this movie at my house. Okay, sure. and I think it was the first time I had ever seen a stop motion movie. Mm. Plausible, plausible. Uh, if you hadn't seen Nightmare, yeah, I don't I know what other stop motion across yeah. your yeah yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't think I knew what to make. Of, I mean, I liked it, mm-hmm. but did you know the book? Had you read the book? Not at that point. I okay. was really young. You I was little. probably like five. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, but yeah, yeah. I saw this film in theaters. Yeah, same. It was 1996. Yeah, I was 10 years old. I was seven. I loved the book James and the Giant Peach. Same. It was announced that there was a filmed adaptation of it. Henry Selleck, Randy Newman. By the guy Let's who go. did Nightmare Before Christmas. I yeah. was like, I'm there. Yeah. I saw it at the Barbican yeah. in London. Interesting. Go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Might circle where, back to that later. Mm, which is where I saw, <laughs> we're going to have a conversation about that. Uh, which is where I saw most movies back then because the Barbican was very good at like, uh, they had like a kid's like day or I don't know. Like okay. A, and I uh, thought it was great. Filed away my thumbs up review of it and weirdly just never revisited it. Yeah. I don't know. I think I never watched it again. So I'll say this. I think I was 10. You know, it's like at a certain point I'm getting. Yeah. No, I'll say this. A big Roald Dahl household. Same. So we had read this book. We had read all the books we were deep in. B, I'm a big animation nerd. Yeah. I'm already invested in the idea of who Henry Selleck is. Tim Burton's name being attached to this movie. All of that. Another big element for me is that all the the character design from this movie is Lane right. Smith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who at this point is fucking killing the game with John Sieska is doing the Stinky Cheese Man. Hell yeah. Three Little Wolves Untold Story. I fucking... Those books are unbelievable. Oh They're so good. I, you know. I was thinking this watching the movie last night. Fucking, you're you were talking about like your daughter's favorite books. Yeah, Brown Bear Brown. What do you see? Right, which is a little dramatic. How excited inert, are but... you going to be when you get to read like Stinky, Stinky Cheese Man? Like shit that's like fucking well, got some some juice. To well, it. the whole thing with Stinky Cheese Man was it was like <laughs> Jack and the Beanstalk. What a load of crap! And you were like, can he say that? Like, <laughs> you know, like, Red Riding Hood sucks, you know. And you're like, oh my god! But, but then they like are the, actually yes. wonderfully drawn and clever yes. and funny. Lance yes. Smith has this incredible design style. He also did the the Time Warp Trio. Yep. Mm. Uh, but he, so he's a big figure in my life at this point. But th- most importantly, the big thing is my brother's name is James. Mm. This movie was fucking huge in our household for that reason. A, we read the book early because it was like James. If there that was book just has a movie with James in it. It was like we're there. I cannot tell you how much this seemed to resonate. Okay, and it's like his name is James. It's a very common name. It's not like I found a movie with Griffin in the title, right? But he was just like, "That's my movie." We saw it in theaters. We loved it. We had the soundtrack. We listened to it all the time. I mean, perfect film for kids too. It's short. Yes. it's simple. Yeah, it looks really cool. It's got animals in it. You know, but this movie is big for and me. Yeah, apparently still, has the best song soundtrack of all time. Yeah, it's time. got the five best songs ever written for a movie. Um, but yeah, I I still uh, I'll watch this movie every couple of years just to just to test it, just to check. I'll go still Keep good. The channel open. <laughs> still good. Uh, I love it. I, yeah, I think it's like a, a incredible uh, technical achievement. Obviously. But I also think this film is uh, it's 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 interesting in a lot of ways. It is like an interesting sort of semi first check bounce for him. Um, yes, and that I think for a lot of people this movie is like too dark and unpleasant. Huh. Interesting. That's why we you, didn't have it at our house. You read the you reviews think from the time. It was too nasty. My parents were probably just like, absolutely not. No, this is creepy. 
But I think in a certain way, he's the only person to adapt Roald Dahl and get that totally right. Yeah. But he's, and yet, but I would say he still is uh, chilling it out a little bit. Because the thing in the Roald Dahl book, which I've read a million times, yeah. was one of my favorites. I read them all a lot. Yeah, same. Is that like the craziest part is when the peach rolls over yes. Mrs. Spike and Mrs. Uh, and, and Sponge and Sponge, Spiker. Yeah. And they're like, bump. And they're like, hell yeah, she's dead. And then there's another bump. And they're like, her too. Two dead bodies. Yes. And then it's just, we just move on. Yeah. And I was at the time, I was just like, god damn, they're dead. But they're so mean and grotesque looking. I, I was cheering for it. <laughs> but in this movie, they live. You read reviews from the time that this movie came out. And people are like, the first 20 minutes of this film are so repellent. I cannot believe anyone would show this to children. Well, because I guess it is the Roald Dahl thing of like, he does love uh freaks right but they're like mean freaks this is so grotesque and mean right it is torturous um that's funny uh don't remember feeling that way i guess no i was so into it but it it does it's the fairy tale thing like it does it feels like grimm's fairy tales it feels like all the Roald doll books where it's like you start from a place of real sorrow real ugliness Mm -hmm. there's something you have to escape when did you first read the book, Emma? What do you think of Roald Dahl? I I was so yeah I was I you was one hundred hundo person yeah, yeah. <laughs> hate his books love I don't his really think he opinions. has said any or done anything wrong um, no whatever we you know but like yeah we, the we, woke he's, mafia has come for him now <laughs> no, look he's one of my favorite anti semites if I have to rate them as someone who just, sure if like you know, point a gun at me come on do right. you like a few I'm like yeah one of my favorite guys <laughs> I thought some who of them were pretty good hate I don't me like by my birth. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I feel because James of the Giant Peach is his first real book yeah like he'd written a wow, couple I always forgot before that, that yeah. but okay. that is the, his hit right that uh, established and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory follows that because Stefanski you were pulling up the the illustrations from the original book oh, and I forgot yes. that this is one of the ones before his what's his usual guy's name Quentin, well, Quentin Blake, Blake Quentin comes Blake. in later who yes is great I love that guy yeah also got a very, very grotesque yeah a king right. he's got a great inimitable style yes a but perfect this fit. is right this is before that uh, it's illustrated by someone else uh, Nancy, Nancy. Burkert mm-hmm. uh-huh. it, it, uh, right. the, the illustrations you showed us are a Terrible fits they for this book. Really, I mean, well, and I remembered that, like, when you showed me, I was like, right, yes, yeah. I remember looking the f- at that. The first image is really frightening, which is of James holding a cat, and you see his head. His head is very skull-like, and his eyes are completely black. I don't know he if this looks- is just the transfer. <laughs> of no, this I think that's into a, a PDF. I, I think he looks like, like the Renesme robot because <laughs> yeah. Quentin Blake that was did, cut out of Twilight. He did eventually draw, yes. the, right, uh, the thing. I which looks well. cool. Had that edition, so you know, looks nice. But the, it the is Quinn not his fit was just OG. such a good his style was such a good fit for Raul Dahl that I I think retroactively they went back and they were like, you have to convert every one of these books. Mm, mm. You are the visualization of Raul Dahl. I wonder what his first was where he actually... Right. Because when I'm reading these in the 90s, the Quentin Blake versions are the versions that are in widest circulation yeah. at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't have the edition with these illustrations in it that I'm looking at now. I think I did. Okay, wait. I'm trying to find... Okay, the first book he worked on with him was The Enormous Crocodile in 1978. Oh, sure. A minor work. Mm-hmm. A minor work. And then Uncle Oswald and then The Twits. Oh, twits, the one twits. of my favorites. The I twits. love The Twits. I love The Twits so much. Yes. The Twits is... <laughs> is that's grotesque. Is that's horrifying. Truly grotesque. Yes. Right? I remember that's that's the one where Doll... That's like... Fuck. What's like a good filmic example of this? Like, 
you know, Von Trier doing Antichrist or something where he's just like, <laughs> there's nothing for, there's no fun in this one. It's okay? like I spit on your grave. It, yeah. Yes, it's like, it's just two disgusting freaks at yes. war. Yes. There's no sympathetic characters well, usually, entering this narrative. Usually the main character would be the he's child boy, who is yes. the ward of the twits and right. at some point the child escapes them and they get their comeuppance. And so the twits is just them being miserable to each other and there's no child. Well, they get the animals get them in the end. Kind right. Of. Yes. I was looking this up because I was thinking I was, you know, pretty probably pretty sure that the books would come up at some point. Yes. And the, I was obsessed with this book. The, I think because I had never, ever read anything like one. this. The, tw- the, the twits. Twi- the they keep on trying to adapt the twits. I know John Cleese was trying to do it for a long time. And then he and then chose the to become a for him. twit. He's <laughs> truly a twit. Yes. Right. Um, but then even like a year or two ago, I got an email about a, a twits animated voiceover audition, which I think now got canceled in the recent wave of Netflix animation cancellations. But mm. Netflix bought the Roald Dahl library. Right. And is now all in on that. I mean, as a- the twits is legit 87 pages. Yes. Long. It's in and it's out. Yeah. Yes. Um, after that, George's Marvis, Mar- Marvelous Medicine. Okay. And then that late run of like dolls, kind of like masterpieces, BFG, Witches, Matilda. Like, you know, when does he do Great Glass Elevator? That's earlier. That's before. Okay. That book is absolutely what? bananas. That book doesn't it's, make it's a so, single lick of it's sense. It's so funny that Wonka is so huge. <laughs> And right. that everyone's like, we can remake it. We can do it on Broadway. Factory. We can do a prequel. Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Right, prequel, fine. Yeah, musical, whatever. We are never going in. I heard he went to a great elevator. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he, he didn't, didn't <laughs> go in any elevators. <laughs> nope, nope. He didn't go to space. He didn't meet any vermicious nids. And both, <laughs> both the Burton and the Mel Stewart and in the Great Glass Elevator. And there has never been a discussion about continuing either of those stories. Um. Yes. Uh. But uh. So that is when Quentin Blake entered the picture. Okay. In the middle. But yeah. then he eventually went back and he did. The early ones, it goes Peach, Charlie mm-hmm. and the Chocolate Factory, The Magic Finger, uh-huh. which is cute. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Great Glass Elevator, Danny the Champion of the World, which was a huge one for me. Yeah. I was obsessed with that book yeah. as a kid. What about Boy? When does Boy come out? Well, okay, so Boy, I've got to his switch mem- over to a his different memoir, one, which I was also obsessed with. Yeah. Boy, Boy was amazing. That's 84, so that's pretty late. Yeah. That's in between Witches and The Giraffe and the Pelion. Yeah. It is, it's... That's another one I love. It's, it's wild how how hot he was at the end. Uh, he that's the thing he had kind of a late in yeah. life like masterpiece. Uh, but uh, boy, I was obsessed with um, all the boarding school stuff mm-hmm. and like I don't. Why it, would you relate to that? I didn't go to boarding school. Okay. I think I think I just found boarding school to be I think, like a lot of like it's the Harry yeah. Potter thing, right? Yeah. It's like. It's so enchanting to imagine going to somewhere, even though in Boy, he's like, it was fucking tough. Like, yes. it was hard to go to boarding school. The fucking Matilda movie, by the way. Which one? The new Matilda musical mm. film. On Netflix, right. Right, which is being released theatrically everywhere else. I just found out. Yeah. It's like a Sony film that Netflix only bought in Sorry. the States. Sorry. It just sucks. Yeah. It's like going wide in the UK, I think, this week when we're recording. And it will come out on Netflix six weeks from now and be talked about for five minutes. I completely forgot about this. Yeah, no, I mean, Netflix emailed me being like, hey, are you going to London Film Festival? And I was like, <laughs> no, what? I'm not. And they were like, we have Net Matilda there. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me know when I can watch that, I yeah, guess. I didn't know to, you had that. It's about to get that. a wide theatrical release there. It got yeah. good reviews. But yeah, Netflix has uh, bought into the Roald Dahl library, which is funny because... Uh, the majority of the Roald Dahl adaptations have struggled. 
he's tough to do. He's very tough to do. And, and yet, it's less... I like most of the movies. I, I do as well. I love the witches, the rogue movie. Yes. Mm. And if, I love the Zemeckis movie. One of his best. I I really <laughs> like the DeVito Matilda. Incredible. All of these movies are slightly sanded down from the books. Yeah. They always, you know, like the, the right. Rogue movie is absolute freak show shit, but then has the happy ending. We both like Burton Blanca more than most. Yeah, although I'm not like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's a, that's a mixed bag. The, Fantastic Mr. Fox is lovely. Yes. The yes. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, BFG, you know. <laughs> could take or leave that B- one. Emma. F. Weigh in. G. Yep. Actually, I don't think I ever saw it. The Spielberg BFG? BFG, no. I no, never saw okay. them. Do you remember falling into a deep sleep in a movie theater <laughs> once? Because that might have been when you saw it. You might have watched it every night. <laughs> I did. But uh, what dolls do you like? Mo doll movies do you like, if any? Oh, I mean, I was just going to say I did a school project on the BFG because everyone was like, you have to do it because you're tall. Oh, Emma cursed being tall. <laughs> she was a tall child. Tall girl. She's Netflix's tall girl. Netflix bought your rights. You were once Netflix's tall girl to a Halloween party at my suggestion. uh, I want credit for that. You did that. You were like, I need a last minute costume. And I was like, bitch, (laughs) just print out Netflix on a piece of paper hanging around your neck. You're Netflix's tall girl. You did it. This joke is good for two weeks. (laughs) You really timed out on the window on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Some people did get it. I I didn't have to explain it to every single person at the party. Did they make like three of those? Tall girl. They did two. They made a sequel. Right? I did not watch the second one. Sorry. Did Sorry, you? You did girls. watch the first one though, and it was. I did. She was like, "Some people are normal. Not me. I'm tall." I I wrote a thing about it, which was basically like, "This movie drove me crazy because it, she's like bullied for being tall." Mm-hmm. But what happens to you when you're a tall girl is that everyone's like, "Oh, I wish I was tall," and sure. meanwhile you're like in hell. Right. Right. <laughs> it's not you're, you're. It's not like people are like, "Hey, nice job being tall." Over the, I don't know yeah. how to bully a tall person. Yeah, hey, you can't. Uh, you got long legs. <laughs> <laughs> Can, do you have to duck to get through a doorway? Right. I was just jerk? jealous all the time. I was never mean to a tall person. I mean, I you know I of course believe that tall lives matter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Stance. Um. I mean, pants shopping. I, oh my god! Don't yeah. even get me yeah. started. I mean, I could do a whole this blank check length episode. Well, hold on. About so, that. Let's save that for a spinoff show. Okay. We don't want to give that away for tall free. podcast. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second, David. Know. Where did you pluck that name from? <laughs> um, hold on. BFG let me just is check. tall. It's funny. I mean, check to make sure look, that isn't copyright. The big BFG friendly is giant tall. is tall, <laughs> but <laughs> he's better known as for being. Big. Yes. He's not the tall friendly giant. No, he's not the TFG. Even though he is tall. Yeah. He is. He's, very tall. he's tall and he is slender. Okay. Unfortunately, there is a tall podcast. Is there really? No. God damn it. They're always one step ahead. Maybe we can buy them out. Off the cuff <laughs> ramblings from a copywriter in Eastern Europe. Uh, he got there first. That? that sounds juicy as fuck. I gotta be honest. Is the guy's name tall? Uh, he's the tall writer. Oh, Genre is marketing. He must have been so thrilled the day that Michael Crichton died. (laughs) (laughs) He must have been ecstatic. It's so quick to jump on that. Um, Um, But yes, this book was very big in my household because we loved Roald Dahl and James liked hearing his own name. And Mm. then we saw the movie and we were amped. And I, this is one of those movies when I got really into box office a couple years later and box office mojo existed and I could scan through the history of every weekend and whatever. Where I was like, that movie was a huge hit, right? right? You were oh. like Emma with Treasure Planet. Where you were Truly. Like, 
100 million dollars opening weekend I thought right? everyone knew these songs right, everyone saw it right yeah right they were like under the sea level earworms <laughs> right I'm flummoxed by the fact that the three of you don't care for the music <laughs> I, I, I don't thought, I thought this was a I, huge, oh I like yeah. the music yeah Emma the likes the music good. she's with you no, sure that's not like I, by me yeah <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> love it I love it. I think all these songs are great. But yes, I thought I thought this movie was a bigger hit. I guess I must have known at some point, well, they stopped letting Henry Selleck do this. Right. I mean, it is. I feel like a few years later, this would have been a bigger hit. Mm. I think it sure. is a good sign of like, there actually was only so much space for a movie this odd in the kids' zone in the 90s. Nightmare did better than this. Yeah. But even Nightmare was not like some no. colossal sensation no. and initially. I, th- I think there are two things going on, right? One... This is coming out like three years, even a little bit less, after Nightmare. Yeah. So Nightmare has come out sort of like was an okay hit, Mm -hmm. but the second wave of like Nightmare Mania has not fully taken off yet. Mm -hmm. That was like late 90s, right? Right. Where like Corpse Bride did bizarrely well for Mm -hmm. how nothing that movie is. Do you like Corpse Bride? I do. Do you love it? No. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. But it, like, was a, it looks beautiful. It was a big hit because at that point it was like 10, 15 years out from Nightmare and people were like, yeah, we should have fucking been there when Nightmare came I out. saw Corpse Bride in college and me and my friends were all exactly, we were right. like, well, it's fucking Nightmare 2, this right. thing. Yeah, that's why we got to see it. I even think Peach like coming out in like 98 might have yeah, been sure. picking up a little bit more of that heat. The other thing is this comes out fucking three, four months after Toy Story. There is that thing where it's like Disney Renaissance is going huge. Then they're like, we should branch out and do other stuff. Let's make a stop motion film. Let's make a CGI film. And Nightmare does okay. And Mm. Toy Story is a phenomenon. And at the same time, the Disney Renaissance movies are starting to peter out a little bit. So they're just all in on Pixar. If you're them, if you're Eisner especially, you're like, why are we going to make a third one of these? They take forever and they seem a little niche. Yeah. Whereas we've cracked the code with Pixar. It makes sense. And yeah. it's like, look, it's not like CGI is easy. No. But uh, stop motion is so involved and so complicated. And this movie, like, you can feel the limitation. Like, you can yeah. feel like them trying to save money everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in all the live. And like, the again, sets are quite there's small. There's 40 and- minutes of stop motion. That is the thing that's really clever about this movie. It is Because to a certain degree, I was surprised that he was able to get a film out in two and a half years after Nightmare. Right. Just because usually animation with development cycle and everything is four years. Right. And this is the most laborious process. And the answer is he essentially had to make a 40-minute short film and then do live action around it. I forgot how much of this movie is live action. Yeah. I, I like. I was like, kind of waiting for the beginning part to end. I was like, all right, he has got to get in. It's thing. 20 full minutes. It's quite long. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I had forgotten like that there was a kid in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'd really forgotten everything about this movie. I remember there was a giant peach. Sure. So give me I mean, some credit. I, I, uh, partial credit. We can dig into the dossier, but the genesis of this movie is really Joe Ramp, who we talked about a lot in the Nightmare episode and was just a sort of legend of 90s animation across the Pixar films, the Disney animated films, and the stop-motion Salic films, among others. He's just sort of like, he was the best animation story artist of his generation, everyone thought was going to eventually become a great director. He was also the voice of Heimlich. Voice of Heimlich, uh, voice of, uh, I'm forgetting some of the other characters, voice of Wheezy, the penguin, mm-hmm. in Toy Story 2. I believe he's the clown in um, one of my favorite movies of all time when I was a little kid, The Brave Little Toaster. 
Yes. Which is a movie he worked on. That was a big, he was a big guy behind Brave Little Toaster. That movie's fucked up. Yeah, that movie's fucked up. But you seen Brave Little Toaster? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think around Brave Little Toaster time. the scariest movie I've ever seen. Scary. Hmm? Around Brave Little Toaster time, he goes to Disney and says, I think there's good movie potential in James the Giant Peach. Yeah, which like, no shit, buddy. This is what's so weird to me. That they had to sell people on like, hey, that bestseller from the most famous children's author who ever lived, think we should make a movie of it? It used to be so hard to convince studios to make movies based on intellectual property. But I feel like at Disney also, it was like, is it a thousand-year-old fairy tale? <laughs> right. Like, Because it's like, if I say Cinderella, everyone on Earth has heard of Cinderella. Yes. Right. right. James and the Giant Peach, they're like, what did it sell? A hundred million copies? I don't know. Flash in the pan. <laughs> Right. That fad might be over by the time the movie hits. It, truly, it felt like, even like Batman, they're like, Batman's only been around for 60 years. He might not last by the time we get that film in multiplexes. Uh, but Joe Ramp is the one who pushes this really hard. Roll doll. Okay. I'll, let, me give you some, let me give you hated some dots. Hated Jews. Thought they were right. Um I say this because I'm Jewish. Just look it up, And guys. I hate that he... It's, it's unfortunate. Would have hated me. Um, he's a best-selling author. Mm-hmm. He's... Uh, a relatively successful screenwriter. He wrote You Only Live Twice. Yes. Uh, uh, he wrote a bunch of like Hitchcock um, Presents episodes, yes. I think. Does he get a credit on the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Or the the Wonka movie? I, you mean the, the, the Gene the, Wilder? Yes. He gets the screenplay credit on right. it, although I think he largely did not like that movie yes. and of course famously wanted Spike Milligan, <laughs> yes. who is like a legendary British comedian but was not exactly like the kind of Hollywood A-lister, you know. Like. No, he wanted nastier. I mean, and people still, so much of that movie's legacy is, wow, Gene Wilder's so much darker in that movie and scarier than I thought, than I remembered. Have you ever seen that clip of Spike Milligan getting, um, like, a message from Prince Charles? No. It's in, like, one of, have you heard, you know who Spike Milligan yeah, yeah. is, right? He's a very famous old British comedian. Um, and Prince Charles loved him. Okay, right? and so it's one of these like he's and, and he was comedy partners with Dudley Moore. Yes, he yes, was part right. of the Goons. Yes, you know, uh, so uh, not Dudley Moore. Um, you know what's it called? Um, Peter Sellers. Right, the Goon Show. Um, right, isn't that what it's called? Yeah, the Goon yeah. Show. So it's uh, Peter Sellers and Harry Seacum. Okay. Um, and it's, so it's one of these old fucking salutes to Spike Milligan things. Yeah. It's in the '90s. He's old as shit. <laughs> sure. And Jonathan Ross is like, and Spike, uh, we've got a message for you from you know the Prince of Wales himself. And he starts reading this letter that the Prince of Wales sent mm-hmm. in that's like, I always used to love listening to you on the wireless. You're so funny. And Spike Milligan goes, oh, that groveling bastard. <laughs> <laughs> on, and everyone loses their minds. Wow. It's so funny. <laughs> wow. The whole British audience is clearly just like melting. And Jonathan Ross is like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm literally <laughs> reading something with like the royal seal on it. That's incredible. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Anyway, Google that if you ever want to watch sure. uh, something funny. But anyway, Roald Dahl had just not been adapted for film, right? Well, apart from Willy Wonka, yeah, yeah. I guess the witches, yeah. But apart from that, it's mostly like it's there's like that Danny Champion of the World TV sure. movie. There's that BFG TV movie. Yes. But yeah, there is the witches. I forgot the right. witches. But that's it. Yeah, and um. Joe Ranf, as you say, was mm-hmm. championing this within Disney, but Disney thought it was too weird. Yeah, uh, and it's a very, it's a very uh, uh, a picaresque narrative. There's not an obvious movie shape to it. This is true, and one might say that about the film. I like the solution they came up with. Sure, but sure, yes. Um, it's disconnect. Here's Selick. It's episodic. It's mm-hmm. disconnected. It's got a dreamlike quality. Disney just thought it was too weird. Yeah, I don't. I think that's so dumb. 
Listen to this, Emma. I'm listening. There's a giant peach. Yeah. A boy goes inside it. Yeah. There's a bunch of magic animals. Yeah. In it. The peach rolls around yeah. and they have adventures. I'm That's just right. like, sold. Sounds good. Right. He's a sad boy with mean aunts and he meets nice friends who are big bugs. You know, it's like they travel. It'd be one thing if you're like, you know, he goes Emma's into a peach and who's in this there? And it's like yeah. famous British philosophers. I'd be like, okay, tough sell. It's like, no, it's magic bugs. Yeah. Cool. And, and all of them have like a bit. They all Each have of a them thing. has a very a little thing that they defined. Do. Much like actual bugs. And then, like, yeah, so Selick, uh, you know, has made Nightmare. So he's sure. got a proof of concept here, right? But, but And at this point, basically, the thing has just sort of kicked around Disney for, like, five or so years, never really gaining traction. At some point, they hired someone to write a screenplay, and they weren't sure if they were going to do it hand-drawn or live-action, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm sure there's a hand-drawn version of this movie that's cool as well. Sure. But it is, it does make sense for stop motion. Bugs right. make sense for stop motion. I love the yeah. bugs in stop motion. You love There's, the bugs? I love them. You love the bugs? We're, look, we're going to do, that's, this is going to be 30 minutes of the episode. Yeah, we're getting we, to we this. talk about the bugs. That's all I'm waiting for. Yeah. I'm just but, sitting here waiting for you guys to be done But they go through even, at facts. some point they go, the whole thing is stop motion. It's live action uh, all the way. It's live action, only the bugs are stop motion. He's live action inside the peach. They finally get to the solution of the easiest and cheapest way to make this movie is it's 40 solid yeah. minutes of stop motion in the middle. The boy has to become stop motion. You right. do live action bookends. But another thing for Selleck, I think, is like he doesn't want his studio to close up. Yes. They're, they're wrapping a nightmare and he's just like, I need something. Yes. I need to pitch something so that we're just continuing on with work and we're continuing to get everyone together. Did you read Bilga's uh, Lilo and Stitch piece that came out this week? Yes. That was excellent for Vulture. Uh, if people want to carbon date when this episode was recorded. Doing oral histories of early 2000s underrated Disney movies. Yeah. Yes. I like it. Bilga is like, yeah, has the exact taste of movies that I do. Uh, but um, they're saying in that piece that like the, the magic sauce of that movie was that it was the brief period of time where they set up a satellite animation studio in Florida. Yeah. And they largely did that so that there would be a functioning animation studio that uh, Disney world attendees could see and feel like they were visiting where the movies were made. Right. But the main movies were still getting made in Hollywood. And some of the smaller projects got punted to Florida. And that was like the last Florida project basically before they shut it down. And they're talking to a lot of the artists who worked on the movie and like where it came out of and the sense of collaboration, camaraderie, all this sort of stuff and asking like, will there ever be a, a hand-drawn movie like this? And they're like, the problem is like at that point, that movie's coming out of people who had been working together for 10 years. There was like a sensibility. To, there was a studio. It's like a cast iron pan that's right. been seasoned, you know? And they're like, Netflix can invest in one of these movies, but the way you get to Lilo and Stitch is it's the fifth one you make. Right, you keep mm. generating. And sort of, it's the Pixar thing and too. And I, I think, you know, it becomes a simple business proposition as much as Selleck says, please don't shut down my studio. To Disney, it's like, you've put the money into building this thing. It's kind of a waste if you only have those costs amortized across one film. Um, it's cheaper now that you've hired the people, you've rented the studios, you've built the equipment to keep this going, especially if the hope is, and I think this is that period where it's like, we got to find a new satellite studio, we got to find another branch of animation, Pixar ends up being it, but like, could we just have them working continuously and giving us a new stop motion film every three years? The other thing, of course, that Selleck mm -hmm. has going for him is that Tim Burton is still involved. Mm -hmm. He's interested in the doll book. Slapping his name. Right. So uh, Selleck is hoping the exact same thing will happen where because Burton's involved, Disney won't mess with him. Mm -hmm. Burton will be the force field because yes. Disney wants to be in the Burton business. Yes. And so 
maybe that will happen. Now, what ended up happening was Burton was not really involved in this movie at all, and Selleck felt like, you know, um, ignored by him. It was truly a name slap. Right. Uh, and nothing past that point. Right. And I think Disney was starting to count the beans. There was a, a Selleck interview he did just recently talking about Wendell and Wilde, but also he gets into uh, uh, Shadow King. I mean, stuff we'll talk about in future episodes. Mm. But was saying, you know, the thing with stop motion is it's expensive, but it's actually on average less expensive than a lot of other forms of animation, partially because they keep the scale of them down. But he's like, uh, the whole thing is they end up costing less than most of the other animated films and they just basically make back their budget when they come out. But they remain profitable for a long time. They have a long tail and you need to sort of have a big picture vision of them. Right. Because I even think the Leica films have performed similarly. Coraline's the only one that was like a proper hit when it came out. But I think all those films have done well over the years. They do well. So I think they're just like, will you give us $40 million to make another one of these? That's mm-hmm. half or a third of what your other animated films cost. Steven Spielberg and Danny DeVito are trying to get the rights to James and the Giant Peach. Right. They get they defended off by Selleck, and of course DeVito goes on to do Matilda instead. Right. And I mean, Spielberg ends up doing BFG 20 years later, but had wanted to do it for so long. Had always, he ends up doing what? The BF... The BFG! Thank you. Um... Uh, so basically, um, Burton though get helps Selleck get this and then fucks uh-huh. off. Yeah. Uh, Selleck's uh, quote: Tim helped helped set up the film, and after that, had nothing more to do with it. He took a huge amount of money, gave me no protection. I don't think he even read the script. Tim's not the reading kind of guy. He usually watches some old Mexican horror films or Curse of the Bigfoot and gets inspired by that. <laughs> so it just like <laughs> it starts off with him being like, look, he helped me get it. And the other is like, look, the fucker can't even read. He's just watching garbage on television. I, I will I will say this. Uh, you know, as yeah, we Henry do, Selleck's a prickly fellow. As we do this mini-series. He's a bit of a prickly peach. <laughs> well, yes. As we do this mini-series and we dig into why there have been such long gaps in Henry Selleck's career, the big thing I keep on hearing from people people who want to tell me things off mic without citing them directly is the man just has zero bedside manner whatsoever (laughs) not not much of a filter it's the number one thing i hear it's not like oh secretly there's this horrible thing about him that's never spoken there's not like some horrible like traumatic monstrous thing it's like the guy truly only knows how to speak in terms of art and is not someone who knows how to deal with people in a friendly way whatsoever is very blunt about everything. It's what you said we were talking about, like that animators are either cartoon living cartoon characters. Yes. Or they are these weird clockwork people who right. are like not very good at interacting socially. Right. And like I think someone like Pete Doctor is like that. Like Clockwork Man? No, is quiet, like He's internalized. Yes, Clockwork yes, Man. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. But in a way that is clearly like sweet, attentive, right. no sensitive. He's not uh, abrasive. You have to pull it out. And someone right. like Lassiter is more car- human cartoon. Big cartoon. Right. Right. Um, Selleck is like a quiet, intense man. He's like the Stanley Kubrick of animation. He looks like a Selleck puppet. Mm-hmm. He does. He's this like does. thin, wizened guy with yes. a beard. Now like... he's got this very long goatee. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Selleck, basically, as you say, Mm -hmm. they have this idea of, like, we're going to do sort of live action around the stop motion, Mm -hmm. but the live action can have this very stylized set. Yes. So it kind of preps you for the stop motion. Yes. Like, you're kind of already in the sort of 
visual headspace. This is wildly stylized live action. It's like it's yes, it's very which, strange and expressionistic. Once again, which is good. Once again, it is the only movie to me the live action. Segment. I think it would suck if it was like set in a fucking regular ass neighborhood, and then he goes in the peach and all that shit's happening. It's better this way. The live action section of this movie for me is the only doll adaptation that looks like doll to me which isn't to say it looks like quentin blake it looks like how the books feel in your mind's eye when you're reading them Mm. more successfully for me than any other doll adaptation and i think the stop motion stuff is good as well but because it's lane smith and his design sensibility becomes like a slightly different artist is this the best doll adaptation i think there's an argument that it might be is it emma i think i i would say that would you take it over the gene wilder I mean, you like Gene Wilder less than I don't like right. I like that movie a lot, but I think in terms of just actually putting Roald Dahl's spirit on screen, I'm not even a huge Wes Anderson person. But I might take Fantastic Mr. Fox. I prefer I this to Fantastic Mr. Fox. He prefers it, but I think I rank Fantastic Mr. Fox lower in the West canon than a lot of people. I I, I don't know. Yeah, it, there's an like, there's an argument. That's another one. Selleck was going to direct Mr. Fox with Wes. Wes, yeah. And it became a life's too short thing. Yeah. Yeah. For who? Wes. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of a Justin Justin Lin, uh, Vin Diesel kind of situation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just can't do this again. Um, There was some notion of the the kid always being live action. Right, yes. And I like this quote from um, uh, David Vogel, who's head of production at Disney, where he's like, the little boy would have to act the entire second act of the movie by himself. He would never have animated characters there. He would just be making believe. And it wasn't a matter of money. It was that you don't do that to an eight-year-old. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's just like, yeah, that's just going to be too much of a nightmare for and, everybody. And I'll say, a thing I like about this movie, the kid they picked very much does not feel like an actor to me. And I don't think he ever acted again. No, he feels like a real kid. Paul Terry. Like, his performance feels like a kid playing pretend, like, to entertain his parents at dinner. Uh, yeah, he's cute. And I, I yeah, I'm going to be for them. I like him a lot. I think it would have been incredibly difficult for him to to do that. Hmm. It also works. Like, it's like the kind of movie logic thing I love. I love how unexplained it is. But it's like he starts crawling through the peach, little glow sparks fly around him. His head gets bigger. His head, dude, his head get big. Yeah. He's a big head. Why does he transform? I don't know. Because he's in the peach now. Yeah, peach is this now. Yeah. They really don't. I was kind of expecting a little bit of explanation there, but they were just like, you're different too. Yeah, you're different too. And I'm like, okay. It's sort of Wizard of Oz rules, but it transforms him as well. You're going to a different place and everything's going to be different now. It's the gator tongues. It's the gator. It's the crocodile tongues. Whatever. You croc tongue, gator tongue. Well, Ben's out. This was He's absolutely. Mad at the movie all of a sudden. My- Come on. I'd crunch down on some glowing tongues. <laughs> what would you hope would happen to you? <sighs> Uh, turn into a sick ass bug. <laughs> Which bug would you be? Asked and answered. <laughs> yeah, uh, what, what's your bug? What's your bug avatar? Well, because I like, of course, centipede. fucking centipede. He's got an attitude, <laughs> yeah. you know. He's a wise guy, but I don't know body wise. Not uh, which one of these characters? Like, if you could be any bug in the animal kingdom. Oh shit! Emma, we're going. <laughs> we're going. <laughs> Dang. Um. Fucking uh, praying mantis. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Kind of, I always think of them as classy. Yeah. Because they're kind of like. Oh, it's Jonathan Harris in A Bug's Life. Right. Manny the Magnificent. That's right. He's funny. He's really good. Who? But Emma Bug. 
Um, I was thinking about this. I mean, last you don't night. have like a locked and loaded answer for this. Uh, okay. Um, I, I was actually thinking about this because I figured we'd talk about this, and I think I want to be a dragonfly. Wow. Because uh, well, they're, they're fucking, fucking cool. Well, they, whenever you see a dragonfly, you're yeah. like, how does this exist? Yeah. Yeah. They seem very powerful. Like if yeah. I was a little bug and one of those things showed up, I would not want to deal with it. They yeah. have like, like, in, you know, like, by some metric, they have like the highest catch. Ray, like predator catch rate oh, of any like, creature on the planet. Yeah, they're unfair. They're yeah. like helicopters. <laughs> yeah, and that's a this good answer. Vietnam shit. They're just swooping. Yeah, well, what bug are you going to be? I don't know. Do also, you? I don't know. I was just in an Airbnb last weekend. Humblebrand? Thank you. Um, you were waiting for it, but I didn't think I was going to do it. Okay, fine. Well, you didn't have to do it. We can cut it out if you want. No, keep it in a double. No. <laughs> Alex actually does that. I can't say it anymore. Humblebrand? Um... And this Airbnb had, which I've encountered once before in my life, a ladybug infestation. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Where there's just hundreds of them. And it's the most benign because they're harmless. They don't do anything. Sure. But it was just crazy to see them all. Fucking ladybugs. Yeah. I mean, ladybug was the answer that popped into my head first. Cool. I don't know how much it is. I I like the fucking Francis in Bugs Life. I mean, one of Dennis Leary's finest performances. (laughs) It's way up there. There's a ladybug in this movie. I know. She rules. She's cool. Yeah. Know what bugs I like all be. these characters. Um, yeah, because worms are kind of cool too. Worms are cool. They eat dirt. Yeah, they're slimy. Yeah, <laughs> you can cut them in half and then they multiply. There's a great joke actually about worms. There, yeah, I know what you're talking about. They, he's like talking about how his cousin was attacked. Or no, he had like his a, brother. He had a brother, and now he has two half brothers. Yeah. Funny. That good. Is, that, that actually is. This movie has that actually is some funny. really good one-liners. <laughs> yeah, the, he's committing pesticide. Is funny. That, yeah. yeah, that's pretty funny. I w- I want to get into plot of this because I want to dig into these characters. I mean, we've, we've basically said everything we need to say about the setup. Yeah, of the only movie other game. interesting guy I want to mention yeah. is that Dennis Potter, who's a very uh-huh. famous British writer, mm-hmm. who wrote Pennies from Heaven, the original Pennies from Heaven miniseries, okay. and all that. Right, he wrote the first draft. And, like, totally swerved away from the book. Like, it's set in World War II. Oh, weird. James's parents died in the Blitz, not eaten by but a rhinoceros. was that pre-Selleck just when Disney was internally developing this without knowing it, what to do with it? Because I think Selleck yes. comes on once they have the Kirkpatrick Yeah, I think this, this script may have existed and Selleck sure. was like, this is very interesting, but, yeah. like, we can't do this. We right. need to, uh, you know. And the Doll Estate had, like, script approval and was like, no, no. Because Kerry Kirkpatrick's the main writer on this, who was a huge Disney story guy. Yeah, and Jonathan Roberts, who had written um, The Lion King. Right. And um, Kirkpatrick later writes Chicken Run and then becomes a in-house DreamWorks And I guy. do want to quote Michael yeah. Eisner, chairman of Disney at the of time. His, Hello. His opinion on this project, mm-hmm. quote, Who wants to see a film about a boy and a bunch of bugs? We can't spend $30 million on this. Two thumbs from Emma Stefanski. <laughs> Way up in the I air. do. Um, but I do feel like what they eventually arrive on is a a pretty faithful, mm-hmm. as faithful as you can be, yeah. apart from the murder of the ants. Sure. Um, to, you know, adaptation, right? That's uh, that's really trying to contain most of the events of this book in some way. Yeah, and even if you don't crush the ants at the beginning, mm-hmm. I think you keep them alive to give them a greater comeuppance later in the film. Like, it doesn't feel like they're pulling a punch in that way as much, you know? Um, but yes, they do land on the structure that is like the movie alternates between musical numbers and action set pieces mm-hmm. for the whole middle section. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's it's one of these things where it's like, okay, they're here, they have to get to New York, how do you kill time in between those two events? That was my favorite thing about the book. It yeah. ended in my neighborhood. Yeah. It was cool. 
It yeah. just hands up in Central Park, and he's like, I live here now in a peach pit. I think I saw... I'm going to go get H&H. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not open on Sunday. Go Sundays. to Barney Greengrass. Yeah. I think I saw someone on the Reddit propose that this might be the no, the most New York movie we've covered, which there is a sideways argument for that. It's very, it gets very New York. New York That's the, the end. thing. Right, it gets it does. so. Because there's a cop who's Mike like, hey, Stahl, what are you doing, right, lady? Right, yeah. <laughs> Everyone there's hanging three out there. journalists windows. with hats. Yes. I love how the, they're like, pads. this peach is our peach. And he like, looks at one photo and like, it's their peach. What can I do? Yeah. <laughs> My hands are tied by the law. <laughs> I'm kind of astounded he didn't get a supporting actor nomination. <laughs> Mike Starr? Yeah. He does take As it New York cop. Yes. It's incredible. And he just like owns the last 15 minutes of the movie. He's one of those guys where you're like, you have this outfit at home, right? Like he's one of those guys <laughs> like, I got a construction outfit. I got every YMCA outfit basically you, in my closet. You might be very surprised to hear that he was a drinking buddy of my father's during my father's gambling addict days. Wow. When was he, he a would, fun one? Uh, I think so. I mean, when he would go to uh, uh, Jimmy's Corner. On 45th, the best bar in New York City, cool, cool. Uh, which is a, a former boxing corner man's bar. And he would sit there with a couple of guys every night and bet on games. Mm. And Mike Starr was one of his guys. And when I was a kid and we'd watch movies or TV or whatever, Mike Starr would show up. My dad would walk in and he'd go like, good for Mike Starr. And I, was, I always got the sense that like when you were drinking with that guy, no one would hire him. Oh, sure. He was when he was that guy for, was mid twenties right. or right. early thirties. He, he aged into character actor, right? Right. He, he figured it out, right? Like right. we watched Ed religiously in my household, and he was just so thrilled when he was like, "Mike Starr's still on the show," and we were like, "Yeah, he's a regular. Good for Mike Starr." Remember Ed? I, we watched every. My, it was one of the only TV shows my mom liked. Hmm. It's kind of a cute show. Yeah. Here's some, I'm. I'm just looking in Spider Man. This, the Raimi Spider Mans. Those are New York movies. Very New York. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like New York movies we've covered. Sure. Uh, Bright Star, that was very New York. Yeah, hey, I'm walking here. Keats. Efron's, you got mail. West Side Story. Uh, when Harry Met Sally. Yeah, we've actually in covered a lot of New York movies. Yeah. <laughs> and this movie mostly takes place in a peach. <laughs> yeah, but at so the end. Yeah, yeah. And also Centipede from Brooklyn. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I was yeah. astounded checking the credits that Ed Burns didn't play Centipede. I know, he should have actually done it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he is actually going to revive Centipede, but it's going to be about how that guy can't get laid. Sorry. Just that Burns movie. So show. this movie starts out. I, by the way, I want to tell you that I googled kinds of bugs because I was trying to find like what <laughs> kind of bug I want to be. <laughs> Haven't decided yet. This movie starts out with like 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 scientific textbook illustrations of bugs. Beautiful credits. I Beautiful. Love I would like, hang that up on my wall. Violin music. Yeah. Eisner must be having an aneurysm <laughs> just from the start of this thing. <laughs> Where's the attitude? <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing hip happening. It reminded me of like the opening of um, Sleeping Beauty. Yes. How it's all like medieval illumination. Which is so beautiful. beautiful. That, and, and similarly chill. Similarly, yes. yeah. uh, right, uh, low tone. Whatever, and then when you, know. you go to live action, you realize Henry Selleck is committing to the most unpleasant reality ever committed to film. I don't want to, lots of kids have their parents haven't been eaten by rhinoceroses. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a normal thing. To well, no, so to that's idyllic. The beach looks beautiful. His <laughs> yeah. parents seem lovely. That that's it's 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 very sweet and touching. Honestly. I will say this: they're looking at the stars and all that. Yeah. The transfer of this movie on the Blu-ray and the streaming qualities that exist right now is controversial. Interesting. Why is that? I watched it on Disney Plus. There is a look on this to this movie that was certainly by design to Selleck. Uh, it was his, you know, vision that it seems perhaps what exists out there now digitally and on disc is a poorly preserved version of that where it is much darker. It does look dark. Even it's, more yeah. desaturated, even grainier than what it was. 
when you watch like because I was going onto YouTube and watching the trailers from when the movie came out and you're watching lower res. Yeah. There isn't one of those like 4K scans of the 35 millimeter trailer. The color palette looks different. Mm. The place where I think it becomes very apparent is when Postle Thwaite enters and you can barely see his face. It's so right. dark. I think all of that's a little... Yeah, you're right. This does look a little it's brighter. It's really washed out. And I understand the look, especially in the live action section, is like pasty, Victorian, right. dreary. Yes. Dreary, dreary is a good word yes. for it. Yes. But the beach looks nice. His parents are very lovely. They, they love him. They're rhino. nice. Sure. But then they got eaten they by a rhino. rhino comes. This is where I, I just start loving this movie. Loved it as a child. Love it today. Is the lack of concern needing to explain <laughs> the sort of child book logic that I feel like movies get into literalizing. Mm. What do you mean they got eaten by a rhino? We can't do a rhino. Rhino's too expensive. That doesn't make sense. Where did the rhino come from? Rhinos don't eat people. This is a movie that just commits to the idea that there's just a rhino in the sky formed out of clouds and he kills the parents. Yeah. And he's still there. He's there forever. Yeah, it's true. Because in the book, it's like they were at the they're zoo. At the zoo, yeah. And in this movie, they're just like, yeah, I don't know. And then the rhino comes. Yeah, and then a rhino ate them. The end. <laughs> now he lives with his aunts. Any but it questions? Feels, Didn't right. think in so. the book, it's sort of like, it's a humorous sort of like, what's the most absurd death? Right, right, right. This, it's turned into, like, this mythical force. Yeah. The notion of the rhino in the sky. It's the fear he must conquer in yeah. order to become. <laughs> right. That needs no further explanation, and he's just dumped off with these two fucking horrible ants, Joanna Lumley, Miriam Margolis, giving phenomenal performances. So good. Two actors who feel or can feel drawn by created by Roald Dahl. You yes. know what I mean? Like yes. They're both such like exaggerated performers to begin with. Yes. They've, they're a fun visual comparison. They have such Miriam opposite Margulies looks. Is, right. It's sort of like short and squat and Joanna Lumley is this like bizarre, exiguous, exiguous tall woman. And, you know? and Selleck uses French and Saunders almost identically in Coraline. Yes. And the puppets yeah. are so similar to I, the two of I them in this. I fucking love them in Coraline. God. So good. Coraline rules. Oh, it's a goddamn home run. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, I love them. Uh, for people who uh, who haven't already, I highly recommend watching uh, Miriam Magolis on uh, Graham Norton Supercuts. Yeah. Oh, any, so any... funny. She's, she's so good. She, she's a wild woman. Wasn't there a thing recently where she was on some show and they didn't turn her mic off and she said like "fuck Prince Charles" or something? <laughs> Probably. She's always doing that. She's one of these like will say anything people. Um. Yes. Uh, She's like an 85-year-old Australian lesbian who correct. goes on all the British talk shows and just says whatever the fuck she feels like. Um, I looked, I googled Miriam Margolis, Graham Norton, and all of the like titles of the videos come up, and it's Miriam Margolis flashed Martin Scorsese. New, like... Very sexual. <laughs> very, very sexual. Most outrageous moments. Yeah. 12 minutes long. Yeah, that'll Can do you it. look up what the recent thing was? She said live on air... She was talking about Justin, uh, Jeremy Hunt, who's the new chancellor of the Exchequer or something. Um, now, and maybe this is brand new. This is like from last week. Is this what you're yes, thinking this of? Is what right. I'm thinking of. Yeah. She said live on air. When I saw him there, I said, you've got a hell of a job. Best of luck. And what I really should have said was, fuck you, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Look, she's cool. Yeah. Joanna Lumley, this is sort of like abfab yes uh, prime abfab right. era so she's i feel like popping up and stuff uh love her love joanna lumley do you like abfab 
You feel like you were, it's a bunch of drunk fashionistas, right? It's very <laughs> bad. Yeah. I mean, I was quite you were young causing trouble. Yeah. When it was like Getting on kicked out. Uh, Cent, uh, Comedy Central. Yeah. But I remember yeah. it was just a show that I was like, these are fucked up adults. <laughs> I remember I watched AbFab because it was like when I was a kid living in Britain, the cool thing mm -hmm. like was AbFab. Mm -hmm. sure. Like, that was I guess coolest. because they were drunk. Yeah. And I think I watched it and I was like, is this what grown-ups are like? Sure. <laughs> when in fact, it's like they're really kind of like children. Like right, they're, like right. the, they're being tended to by their kids and their kids are like, the God, our parents are yeah. so awful. Right? Yes. Um, but AFAB rules. God. Maybe bring AFAB back. I guess well, they did the fucking like movie like times, four years and ago. And it never really... It's, it, it's, it's one of those things It probably just belongs in the 20 90s. years yeah. of being like, would they ever make an AFAB movie? And then they finally did and people were like, okay. It's exactly like we were they just talking about uh, a T2 train spotting, which is another one that people were like begging for. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway. Anyway. They're great. Those two are great. And Spiker and Ant uh, so Sponge, they, they kick ass. Grotesque. I, I like it when movies use theatricality as part of their look. I like that this fucking little house on top of a hill looks completely artificial. Everything is these bizarre, like, paper cutout, forced perspective sets that they have, like, grotesque theater stage makeup on, her giant teeth. The sets look teeny tiny, too. Tiny. That's yeah. another thing I love. It's like, not only are they forced perspective, but they feel like they are 10 inches long. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> they are humans in, like, little stop motion sets. <laughs> I, I think it's the right aesthetic choice because I think it does prime you for... The strangeness of the stop motion, yeah, and the transition doesn't feel that weird as a result. I also I, like I like a hill house where the house is like kind of like hanging off the off hill. The yeah, I, love it. <laughs> I always like that. Defies look. logic, yeah. right? Defies gravity. But I but I also love the you know in like Grimm's fairy tales and things, the adults who are mean to the children are not funny. They're just horrible, right? Like the wicked stepmother is just horrible. You know, any of yeah. those types of characters. Right. In Roald Dahl char movies, or, or books, books, rather, sure. uh, the the awful adults are perversely funny. Yes. And I think he's nailing this tone from the get-go of, like, they are horrifying to look at. They are truly terrible to him. Yeah, they're not nice. They're not good parents. They are not good guardians. perversely entertaining. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. I mean... They leave him fish heads. Yeah. <laughs> Just the absurdity of like, oh, they truly don't feed him. They put him in a box. Like all the shit, you know? I'm, he has a lot of grotesques in his bibliography, yes. obviously. World yes. Tall. Like Mrs. Trunchbull uh -huh. in Matilda, right? The um, aforementioned the twits. twits. The twits. Mm -hmm. um, the, the twits. The twits. <laughs> um, Charlie, I'm going to bring back the super fans and they only talk about Roald Dahl books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Charlie and the Talk Factor, obviously the old people in that are are presented uh -huh. mostly as gentle, but they're still kind of a little weird and creepy. Weird enough that SNL does four sketches about them a season. Um, yes. They keep on insisting on doing sketches that start with four old people in bed together. Rolling out the bed, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I guess I guess Miss Trunchbull is sort of the biggest one sure. in my head, right? Sure. She's a similarly like sort of like exaggerated villain that mm -hmm. you're kind of you want as much of her as they can give you, right? Oh, the, the witches is the other one, obviously. Yes, yes. 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 That's, I right. knew I was thinking. Right. Yeah. Um, Sponge and Spiker, though, I don't know. I, I'm kind of rooting them for them to go. They're so unpleasant. At a and certain it, point, I'm oppressive. like, I need to get out of there's here. There's no, this kid has no outside world. There's no Miss Honey. No, there's no Miss Honey. 
Mm-mm. I was His surprised when the peach rolled down the hill that there was like a whole neighborhood. You never see them. You never know. You see when they come to visit yeah. when the peach is on display. But yeah. yes. What's their jobs? Uh, showcasing the peach. <laughs> I guess they do eventually do that. Um, because like, yeah, what do they do? What do they do all day? It feels Camp's like they're old money. Spiker. Yeah. They've got this stupid house. Why don't they get them something better than fish heads? Because they're mean. The whole point, they're, they're doing so a part. Mean. It's not for lack of options. They're spiteful. That's the whole thing. They're like, we left something for you. They think it's funny that they left him fifth heads. <laughs> They're really awful to him. Yeah. Um, okay, so then he gets, he meets him, a magic man. Well, th- this is the first song. Yeah, uh, which is what, My Name is James or yeah. whatever? Yeah, yeah. But James, James sadly, you know, sees the fish heads, then sees uh, in the garbage a fucking crisp bag. With like residue inside of it. He's like licking the bag. Licking the residue and trying to find some happiness, making this little balloon out of it to entertain himself. Right. Um, And James has has heard the grasshopper's music at night, not knowing it's from the grasshopper. And this is when he sings to the spider, who he does not know yet is Miss Spider. He does not know yet that she's the hottest bitch in town. That she is a babe upon babes. Of course you're into okay. Mrs. Spider. Okay, so I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. David, I'm not going to produce receipts. Okay. But sometimes in the past on this podcast, mm. we've talked about an animated film, and the second we finish recording, you say, I was never going to say this on mic, but I have a big crush on that character. Obviously, the mom in Ponyo is the one you're very vocal about. <laughs> Did you see the fan cam someone made me of her? Yes. Sasuke's mom, you love. <laughs> Sosuke. Sosuke's mom. I just rewatched Ponyo. Hotter than ever. That woman, that woman bewitches me. <laughs> there are other ones I'm not going to cite. Say it. What? Cite it. We can you cut want it me out. to? I, I don't know what you're referring I want to. You I'm to. sure it's the awful. Whatever. The frog from Princess and the Frog. The second we finished <laughs> recording, you said the reason I like this movie so much is because I think she's crushing. Not. I'm recrushing her in frog form. But the whole time I kept on saying, David, why she's have so you bossy. seen this so many times? And you were like, I don't know. The second we finished recording, she's bossy. Bossy so frog face, and it's like I, and it's like she's in human form as well. And I'm like, oh, I, I, yeah, I guess she is. I don't remember that. I remember the frog. You, you <laughs> have not said anything about Tiana in human form, who I think is a beautiful woman. She's very pretty, but yes. you were all fucking horn up for frog Tiana. Sure. <laughs> now my point True. is that it feels like sometimes when they are non-human, you uh-huh. are reticent to admit you find them attractive on mic. <laughs> well, I was it's, watching it's, this movie last night, and I said, I'm going to fucking force him to admit <laughs> Miss Spider is maybe one of the highest characters in the history of cinema. Miss <sighs> Miss Spider is a is a 10 out of 10. Hit, hit it, Emma. Go for it, please. She is one of the... Like, when, when you always... Oh, I don't know if you always do, but some sometimes <laughs> the, like, prompt goes around where mm-hmm. it's, like, which, you know... T- classic like probably animated female yes. character was sexual. your like sexual yeah. awakening and you know people cite like she go from kim possible or whoever like <sighs> you know it's poison ivy from yeah. ba- look at her look at her that she's the og I she's mean, got a beret she's classy she's, she's played by boots. susan sarandon doing yeah. like the breathiest foreign like you know fucking what what's her name in um, mean french lady yeah with the but, yeah exactly yes yeah there you go who are you thinking you know rocky and bullwinkle come on what's her oh name? Natasha. natasha yeah exactly yeah. just that thing where it's like you know how you worked on this accent for five minutes but i love it like you right. know what i mean it's like the most generic accent uh euro accent uh she's so good i just love you know, i mean sosuke's mom lisa is still number one sure for you but i just attention must be paid here 
No. Yeah. No. She's incredible. Yeah. There was that thing like a couple months ago where Susan Sarandon like broke Twitter because <laughs> there was some video of her almost falling out of her dress. Susan Sarandon. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's very pretty. Like in her seventies. Is she? Is she in her seventies? Yes. And uh, everyone who has spent the last six years 76. online complaining about Susan she's Sarandon a, for political reasons, right? She like got Trump elected or whatever. It is right. She did. Yeah. That video circulated. Everyone was like, "I give up. I can't say anything bad about the woman." Right. I mean, it's one of the best uh, AV Club headlines of all time, in my opinion. What's that? Uh, Susan Sarandon masturbated to for old times' sake. <laughs> Susan Sarandon's a babe. Miss Spider is a babe. And one of the sexiest voices of all time. Very wonderful voice. Yes. yes. Um, but James just sings to her in whatever. And it's it's a song about for me. I'm James. He needs to hold on to some sense of self because he's got fucking nothing. As we were saying, as opposed to some other Raw Doll stories, there are no friends. There are no kind family members. There are no kind teachers. James's life is just fucking cleaning up the house for these two shitty women who are openly abusive to him. So he's got he's gotta to talk to bugs. Yeah. Do you talk to Bugs, Emma? All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Figured. Um, then P. Postlethwaite enters as the character named the Magic Man. He sure does. And this is absolutely the first time I'd seen <laughs> P. Postlethwaite on screen. That's a good question. That's a good point, even. Probably Lost was Worlds for me. the year after this, and I was like, oh, the Magic Man. Glad to see him working. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think I'd seen, like, you know, the usual suspects or, you right. know, in the name of the father. Yeah. What his hairline is doing, I didn't think was possible. It is everything about the way he looks in this movie. He comes on screen and I go, this is the most twisted vision yet from the visionary mind of Henry Selleck. And that's just talking about his bone structure. He's so incredible looking. I mean, this is in He's his, handsome, though. This is kicking he is. off. Yes. He is. He's handsome. He's striking. He's got yeah. the stubble going Obviously, on. Obviously, he has the Oscar nomination in, in his pocket yes. already for In the Name of the Father. Right. And he's been in stuff like um, Alien 3. Like, he's right. been around and for Spielberg's a long time. about to collect him for a couple movies. This is the thing. He's, already, yeah. you know, he's, in, he's incredible in Distant Voices, yeah. Still Lies, if anyone's, you know. Um, but this is the kickoff of him in just, like, peak character actor Studio Hollywood paycheck. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Dragonheart, Romeo and Juliet, Brastoff, yeah. which he's amazing in. Lost World, Amistad, uh, the, um, you know, uh, ooh, Animal Farm, that was good. Yeah, the shipping news. And that kind of evens out. He still does stuff, though. He still just worked and worked and worked. Yeah. Dies too soon. I know. That, that, that Just that crazy year of Inception in the town where he's so good in both and it felt in small like he hadn't roles. been on screen in years. Yeah, it, it was like, like ah, this is his return. While. Yeah. And I'm sure I've told, I mentioned it on this podcast that I saw him in a 90-minute one-man play called Scaramouche Jones, where he plays a clown uh, who's going to die at midnight, uh, wow. which is one of those things where it was like just watching him work was very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it a comedy? No, it's sort of like, you know, happy, sad, kind of weird thing. Mm. But it was more just like, it was like, I think it was just like a thing he toured for his whole life. Like it was like his big personal. That's like, really cool. It was cool. I'll show you a um, picture of him as Scaramouche Jones. Cool. Ooh. Yes. There's also form. he did a he did like a a documentary in which he was playing a fictional character about climate change. Okay. It wasn't like a what the bleep, but it was that kind of thing what where the it's bleep like do we know though? half scripted, half documentary, talking head interviews or whatever. But it was like him playing a man from the future. It's called the Age of Stupid. Yes. Thank you. And there's incredible... It's like he's in the future trying to figure out why the world ended. Correct. There are incredible red carpet photos of him promoting The Age of Stupid at whatever film festival premiered at where he uh, went down the red carpet with a bicycle. Can you find these? Yep. If you see them, and he's like steering the bicycle up at the paparazzi line. 
<laughs> God bless. God bless Pete Bosselthwaite. <laughs> this is one of these things I'll never forget. How old did he see when he died? He was 64. Oh, what the fuck? God. We had so much. He had pancreatic cancer. It was very scary stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What That's are you going to do? One of the best. He's a great actor. And, you know, he's uh, well cast as the magic man. He, look, he, he doesn't have a lot of screen time. And he really makes a maximum impact right. with, with what he does. Um, and it's also like this is now you're seeing someone be kind to him and, and, and inject a little bit of hope into James's life. I can't remember who it was, but it was some interview I read with some actor who worked with him early on in their career. Mm-hmm. We're doing a scene with him. It was his coverage. And they were watching him and they were like, this guy is horrendous. He is the worst actor I've ever seen. This is astonishing. He is so overdoing it. Does he just not care anymore? Right. And then they went behind the monitor and they watched the footage and he was perfect. Mm-hmm. And they were like, he was one of these guys where he somehow knew exactly how to pitch it for the lens. He liked he liked the lens. The lens loved him. Lens loved him. Spielberg said he might be the best actor in we, the world. I think right. we talked about yeah. that on either Almost Out of Lost World. Yeah, those two back to back. That thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Our yes. best sideburn actor. Oh, like man he looks the, so good the man with sideburns. Has whiskers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. He's got whiskers. He's got whiskers. So he gives James a bag of all the things I said in the opening. These magic little glowy things. Yep. Um and his minons uh, spell it. They knock it out of his hands. Yep, falls into the ground. It's well, tough. He, he kind of falls in the book. Oh, sure. It's tough though because you're like, fuck. That was his. That was out. the one. I remember when they yeah. and they all like wriggle into the ground and you're like, god damn it. Yeah. Um, and then of course, grows a giant peach, mm-hmm. which then they exhibit as a tourist attraction. And yes. it's on a tree, which I do love. Uh huh. This big fucking thing that won't snap off. I love the look of the peach. I do too. In the in this form, especially when it looks like it's just a a giant balloon that they've dressed up. Here's my only thing. Uh-huh. In the book, Roald Dahl gets into how delicious the peach is uh-huh. when he like tunnels into it and he's like <laughs> Is that good for the mic? <laughs> Great for the mic. <laughs> and like really it's just so juicy and it's like the best peach you ever tasted. It doesn't feel delicious in this movie. Randy Newman wrote a whole fucking song about how delicious There's an the entire peaches. song about it's this. It's the whole musical number. They prepare it <laughs> 40 different ways. It's called Instead Eating the Peach. Flick some fucking cigar on it. But it doesn't look juicy enough because it has to be like tunnelly. disagree with this. I disagree. I don't like peaches and I think the peach looks good. I'm sorry. Fruit. What? Not my fruit. What? What? Not my fruit. Emma, where are you on peaches? Is this a two versus two or a three versus I two? Love no, fruits. I love a peach. Peaches are good. Peach, well, you got to get them right, tier. though. If you got them bad, then. What do you. I'm horrified. I Peach is my favorite fruit, I will admit. Number one. I raspberry. eat it for I love days. Raspberry. raspberry with a bullet. Raspberries are good. Then I probably go number two, banana. My daughter likes to take the raspberry and put it on her finger. Well, that's humble, Frank. And I did. I'd probably well. find you a picture of her doing that. Yeah. Raspberry, banana, apple. I mean, these are all good fruits. Yeah. I got no uh, beef with these fruits. Peach doesn't move the needle for me. Well, Do you like any stone fruit or are you anti stone fruit? Hmm, that's a good question. The plum, the nectarine. The... I don't really love them. I think um, the peach looks delicious in this film. When I was a kid. Yes. In primary school in Britain. Okay. Um, and and you guys might know that what all right that chips is the word for French fries in Britain. Uh-huh. It was a talent show. Mm-hmm. There was a talent show at my primary school, and people get up, they sing songs, they do dances. One kid got up and he said, "I have a poem called Chips," and everyone was like, "All right." And he said, "They don't have bones, they don't have pips, they don't have stones. That's why I like chips." 
And he sat down and he got the biggest standing ovation I've ever seen. <laughs> this like little seven-year-old kid just absolutely annihilated wow. with that poem. Never forgotten it. Yeah. And he's right. <laughs> yeah. They don't have any of those things. Yeah. They're soft. Airtight logic. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find my daughter with raspberries on her fingers. Okay. But I think the on. peach texture looks amazing I in agree. this movie. I know exactly what that would feel like if I just... Yes. Put my hand in the I think it sounds great every time they show it. Very I, sexual yeah. fruit, of course. Call me by my name. Yeah. Call me by your name. Whatever that movie was called. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one? Call you by my name. <laughs> I don't know. It's complicated. Yeah. They're like saying each other's names. I can't yeah. even remember. No, it's a, it's a, it's a good it's a good fruit to fuck. I don't I don't debate that. Um I don't contest that. But Peach uh, Pie, my favorite pie. Oh sure. I like peaches in, in sort of desserts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, peach cobbler. Oh. Classic. Oh. Yeah. I just never gonna I'm never gonna eat a peach. You know who makes a great peach cobbler? Who? Daniel Day Lewis. Because he was a cobbler for a while, supposedly. You know? You know yep. the joke? That's, that is true. Dan was a, a shoe man. <laughs> everyone understand? Good. What yeah. was your fucking Dan Lewis text the other day, Ben? I want people to know that Ben in text does not drop the bit that Dan Lewis is a close friend of his. It's not a bit. Why? <laughs> what did I do? Um, it was because the Alan Rickman diaries came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he had some, He did he have something about uh, about Dan Lewis in there? Yeah, I think he he is like me. We both know Dan pretty right. well. Right, he calls him Dan, mm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are they in something together? Y- yes, but I'm trying to remember what it was. What well, was this fucking thing? I don't know. I, 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 all I remember is that Ben called Alan Rickman Al. He's now added this to the repertoire. <laughs> Let me find it. All right, here it is. All right. Yes, here's the excerpt. Um, 4 p.m., Dan Day-Lewis arrives to play tennis. I mean, that is pretty funny yeah. <laughs> that he just wrote that in his diary. Uh, and that Ben said makes sense. Alan and him were pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it goes in the peach. They you were, guys, they were, they were boys. Al Rickman. You guys talk about the peach. Well, I want to talk about. Well, so the they set up this uh, show. Yeah, sure. They're, yeah. they're hawking tickets to the peach. Right. One, I think come the one little all, one little girl like asks if she can taste it, and like taste it, your tickets revoked, and they send her home. An- so another nasty. joke that's really funny goes, "Oh, father, I'm sorry, I'm gonna actually have to charge you twice." <laughs> And yes. then he goes, uh, I forget, he has some line back at her. But like there's lot there's lots of little joke moments yes. like that. Yes. There are good jokes. They're they're very good jokes. I like also the bit where they do the full Roald Dahl sort of like limerick recitation of uh um her talking about her own body parts. Oh yes. The yes. the toes. Yes. Oh right. Yeah. And I forget, how does the peach get rolling in the first place? Um well it's only James once, climbs inside. Yeah, it's only once James, he goes inside. Yeah. Right. He eats a little bit of it. And oh, then, that's what it is. He's so he hungry because they don't feed the, him. He starts eating yeah, a little bit of it. And he eats one of the little crocodile tongues. Yes. Right. With the bite of the peach. Which right. makes him stop, stop motion. motion boy. Yes. So he becomes stop motion. He believe, goes into the tunnel. Yes. I believe it's Centipede who actually disconnects the peach. He, right? Well, okay. Right. He does something insane that I could not get. I had to like go back and rewatch this. Centipede's a wild man. He they he is the wildest of them. In the character design for the centipede, they use the like jaw, like chelicere yes. that they would have as a mouth. They just put it on the top of his head and give him like a normal little human mouth with teeth on his face. A little triangle nose. You gotta be able to see that he's smoking a cigar clearly. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that with 
little. They would get in the way. Yeah. Uh, but they keep it. They keep them. Yes. Just on yes, the top of his head. But they're like his little antennae. Between almost. his yes. antenna. Yeah, right. And that's right. how he chews the peach off of the tree. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, voiced by Richard Dreyfus, of course. An incredible performance. Yeah. Qu- quite really good. Qu- he's making an effort. This is the thing about <laughs> these voice really performances. Making. Everyone's it's really, not like, no. yeah, they just sort of cast someone. It's like, all right, just do your thing. Like he's doing like no, a all, performance. They're all doing things, and the bigger the star, the more they're making an effort for something. I will say outside of the normal speaking voice. This yeah. is his follow-up performance to Mr. Holland's Opus. So okay. he, you know, he's an Oscar. But like this is Dreyfus's stinker era. Yeah, you know, like American President, sure. Krippendorf's Tribe. Like yeah. where he played a lot of stinkers around. But now. I, every time I, I listen mean, to Mr. this, Holland's I don't even hear him stinker. in. The no, voice. neither do I. Doesn't sound. It's like impressive. It. It's I like had to Google it. I pretty was like, complete transformation. He doesn't do the singing, but he does everything else. Uh, obviously, the other okay. So you got Simon Cowell and Mr. Grasshopper. It's just perfect casting. He's wonderful, but he's like playing the most extreme version of a Simon Cowell. Yes. Uh, not not yes, not Simon Cowell. No. He's not like it's no from me. Yeah. He's not like Arms they crossed. told you. Fuck, what was her name? Who's the lady? Susan Boyle. Susan Boyle. They told you you couldn't do it, but I'm yeah. here to tell you. You know, yeah. yes, the most condescending thing in the history of pop culture. <laughs> That's an incredible performance, and the way they all react to it in retrospect is pretty upsetting. It's I I really get stuck on the Susan Boyle thing because. I've watched that clip several times the because it is, is genuinely, and it's just it's good television. Like right, yes, like you know, absolutely. like the moment where everyone switches over. Yes, but at the same time, right, it does feel kind of like incredibly patronized. But whatever, she's got a great career. She does. Yeah, it worked out. Um, but hey, Simon Callow, right? Um, Susan Sarandon, as discussed, can get it as Miss Spider. She mm-hmm. can get it any day of the fucking week, twice on Sunday. David Thewlis. Great. As Mr. Earthworm, really good, right. really funny. so good. Maybe low, low key, like quiet MVP. Mr. Yeah. Earthworm, yeah. I love Mr. Earthworm. Then double cast Miriam Margolis as the glow worm. Yes, mm-hmm. she's the glow worm. Yes. And then Jane leaves. Yes, middle of Fraser. Middle of Fraser, hot uh, as the ladybug. Am yeah. I forgetting anyone? That's no, it. that's the crew. They yeah. get rid of the silk worm. There was one extra bug in the book. Mm. Yeah, who they get rid of, and they just we've let, already got a lot of worms, right? Yeah, and they let uh, Miss Spider do the the web, the web. Uh, swinging, flinging. yes, but I remember that that's a right. whole thing in the book where yes. they're like the silkworm makes really good silk, and, and that's how they connect the birds. It is pretty yeah. fucking weird that there's worms that just poop silk. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, Ben should collect them for your clothing line. Yeah, I should. And they look, <laughs> they look like wait, I'll make production a lot easier. They're like moths, right? Yeah. Yeah. Silkworms. Yeah, they're moths. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's wild that we use bug poop. And it's like expensive clothes. It's not mm-hmm. poop. It's it's different. Go on. It comes out of a different place. Uh, let's see. Ooh, they are bred for. Ooh, it's called sericulture. Is the the cultivation of silkworms for silk? It's been going on for five thousand years. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. That is fascinating. Uh, Emma, in the Nightmare Before Christmas episode mm. came out last week, Ben mm. quoted or David quoted you saying, uh, <laughs> "I wish I was bugs." <laughs> Yeah, I did say that. Right. In reference to Oogie Boogie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about... I, I said that I didn't He's my like, favorite character. I, and to be clear, I want to two weeks in a row state that I don't like that he's Bugs. I didn't at the time, and I don't now. Emma not I don't like likes when it, but he's wishes bugs. she was it. Emma yeah. wishes that I could, like, pull some string on her neck, and suddenly she just unravels, and she's just Bugs. 
You don't know that you can't do I that. don't know that I can. I've never tried. You never tried. Um, Maybe the reason I like bugs so much is I'm trying. It's like an that agenda. You are bugs. Sure. Yeah. Right. You're trying to get us all like, into bugs. Bugs are pretty cool. They're huh? pretty fun. Yeah, they're yeah. pretty cool. What do you guys think of bugs? Then, like, a bunch of worms fall out of her mouth. <laughs> um, I don't know. Now, now that we're on to the bug characters, though, I want to give you some space, Emma, to, to talk about bugs. What is, like, your personal bug ranking? Of these in the movie or I, I think I want to know both that and in, in the in the insect kingdom. Oh God. Okay. The insect insect kingdom is so diverse it's though. It's so Griffin. diverse. There's That's like, why I'm asking. There's so many like types. Yeah, there's so many types. What are your opinions on these bugs represented in the film as bugs? They're great. As we were talking Not about as before, characters. I'm talking as like a bug expert. They yes, I no, they're good. They do a good job. Okay, I have a question. Do you like that bugs have a lot of legs and do you think it's funny that they would have to have many shoes? Oh, I think it's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. So the there's si- a whole thing in the book with um that they have to take off centipede shoes because his laces get tied together. So and the- it takes a long time because he has so many legs and so many shoes. Centipedes don't have a hundred legs despite being called centipedes. They don't. So they do have too many legs, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> yes. Two two to four is enough. This movie turns them most of them into hands. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd say I feel like so centipede, that's his thing. Grasshopper, what's his thing? He's saying he has erodite, a uh, He's smart. He's, yeah. He's got kind of like kind a, of a snob. Yeah. To be he's got like a little upper suit. Lip. I love his little outfit. Yeah. His I outfit would wear is that. Fun. He's I would look good in that. Do you think that's good though? <laughs> that like the grasshopper has like a monocle. Like that that the, the grasshopper is the classy bug. It's funny that they made him that way. But I guess when you look at a grasshopper's face, even. Yeah. First of all, they it looks sort of elongated face. And the music. Yeah. I guess they're getting into this yeah, idea. Yeah, they're sort of like violin right. players. Yeah. Right. That's sure. what they latch on to. But but in your opinion, is that more of a, a blue collar bug? <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. When you get, you know, because when you see them, they're they're in the dirt. They're in the sure. grass. They're just sort of hanging out. That's a lot of them. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, well, that is a lot of them. That's wor- true. Worker ant, I feel like the ultimate blue collar, right? Right. Worker ant, you know, he's yeah. got a pickaxe. Yeah. Oh, know. I want to be a fire ant. Ooh. Oh, they're scary. Yeah. Oh, I don't they'll, like burn yeah they'll burn you. Yeah, they'll burn you. Like, I, you know, obviously you could imagine the ladybug as being classy because she's a lady, but here it's she's more like she's a little old lady. Yeah. Yes. Like with a handbag. Yes. Yes. I would say a butterfly is kind of the most elegant. Butterfly is very elegant. That's kind of like an them. opera singer. That's bug. like the only right. one people like. Yeah. 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 Classic, likable bug. This does that thing that I love in animated films where, like, uh, every character is very distinct as written, Mm. Mm. right? They all have a very distinct voice. There's no joke any one of the bugs has in the movie that could be delivered by one of the other bugs. Sure. Very rude and very specific personality types in comedic games, right? Right. Then they all have very distinct looks that somehow feel like perfect externalizations of their character game but also just completely different physiologies, right? Mm. Like you have someone like uh, grasshoppers, like all leg, tiny torso. Yeah, yeah. Centipedes, just long ass torso, tons <laughs> of little arms. Hell yeah. Right? Ladybug is like a perfect circle with tiny little arms and legs. Like they're all just, inchworm is just fucking a line. Um, and then the voices are like the perfect matches to the physicalizations. What bug are you happiest to see in your house in my house yeah like there's a bug in your house spiders spiders what bug are you least happy to see in your house that's the real cockroach moths moths Mm, yeah you had a moth i I have a moth (laughs) you have an ongoing moth i had 
pantry moths, mm. which so they don't eat yeah. cozy food. Those fuckers are so hard to get rid of. I They're feel so I feel a lot of moth uh, solidarity for for well, Arthur reasons, Arthur, right. right? But but they they are so fucking annoying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not someone who gets like super freaked out by like cockroaches or shit like that or ants. I'm like, well, I got to solve this. But moths like actively fuck with your shit. Yeah, they do. And I like sweaters a lot. But if you think about it, it's like they're customizing it for you. It's like ben, couture. You start collecting moths as well. Wait, what if that's what you do next? You yeah. like, you like have like a moth chamber. You release and you them like put and clothes. Just buy our fucking top. And then you see like and moths. You give them like a day, yeah. and then like whatever yeah. happens, you take the clothes out, and you're like, this is it's a unique object. Like, yeah, this is what they created. It could be a subline called Bugs by Ben. <laughs> All right, I'm going to write this down. Okay, so they go... You know what's fucked up about moths? What? They don't eat. They don't eat? At all? The worms eat. Sure. The moths. And then they turn into a moth. The only purpose is to have sex. (laughs) Then what what the... (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to... Can I be a moth? How do you go to moth school? The fuck? Why are there these holes in my sweaters? Because the worm, the the little, the worm form. Oh, boy. That's the one that eats. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I'm in my worm form. (laughs) Yeah, I'm absolutely in my warm form. Yeah, I, to- I I I don't remember if I told this story on mic. Okay, is it about your warm form? No, I was like talking. I was talking to uh, a friend of the podcast, Kevin T. Porter, uh, about being a, a a sad, lonely, single bastard. <laughs> and I was just Didn't sort of talking about how I feel. No, this is a comedic story. Uh, about your warm form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was just saying like the attitude I was trying to take these days. And he said, uh, I think it's fine. I think you're like entitled to have like a slut period. I think you can have a slut period you're and your just slut go era. out and have fun. Yeah, Be in your slut era. Right. And I yeah. said, no, Kevin, I said slug era. <laughs> <laughs> and that I want to just lie around and do nothing. Yeah. I feel like a disgusting. No, I'm pro Kevin. You need to exit your slut era. Go into a uh, slug era. Go into some sort of chrysalis. I'm to exit my slug era. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, you want to see a moth that I like? Yes. It's called a hummingbird moth. They're really big. They're Ooh, about the size of big. hummingbirds, too, and they too big. They're some of the few moths that do eat. They're like butterflies. Oh, that's cool. But they're moths. They're gorgeous. Emma does this to me a lot. Just shows you. Yeah, where I'll be like, I just saw a fucking spider, and she's like, you know what's a cool spider? Is the fucking Colombian jumping spider or whatever. It's pretty cool. I love jumping spiders. Emma, do you know that I got bit by a spider and I have a scar on my head and it caused nerve damage? What? Yes, this scar right here. Uh huh. Uh, it was a wolf spider. It (gasps) bit my head in the middle of the night. Oh my god! And until I started taking it in New Jersey, well, fucking prime territory for wolves, right? Shit. And uh, it started just basically the flesh just was like slowly just melting. Ooh. And so I had to take antibiotics and, uh, you know, stop what? that whole process. Oh yeah, and they God. have necrotic bites. Isn't there, am I misremembering? And that? I have no feeling there anymore. It caused nerve damage. So you can just touch that part of your head. Yeah, it just feels kind of like a phantom like like feeling. It's really fucked up. Cool. But I share it because it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like very, a little yeah. ass thing could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Nuts. I'm looking it up. There, there is a big Jersey dig in this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Grasshopper will be blown off course. Centipede will wind up in Jersey. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I mean, it sucks, but it's unfortunately just a part of like popular culture, I guess. Yeah. You know what's cool about wolf spiders? What? They carry their babies on their backs. 
They do. Yes, I've got a picture here. In and fact, in, in the summers, you can go out at night with a flashlight and you can look for them, and you'll find them. Oh, wow! Because their eyes reflect light in the dark. Oh, David's shit. giving a big old thumbs down. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't like these little spider babies at Damn. all. Look at also, this spider's thing. got like spikes on its legs. Oh, those are hairs. Mm. Their hair. That's how they feel where things Susan are. Susan Strand's voice ain't coming out of that. Thing. <laughs> James has met the bugs. Sure. His you're, new you're, you're getting us back on course. Yes. Yeah. I've got more facts to drop in whenever yeah. you need. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll return to this well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, That's the Life for Me is the first song. That's the Life for Me. That's the Life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. It's He's sort got of a cute voice. I was doing uh, Ladybug. The life of me. Yeah. But the, the song, yes, the song is he sells them on his vision of going to New York City. Mm-hmm. The dream he's held on to for so long. Right. They don't know what to do now that they have, uh, they're stuck in this uh, peach. He has a little postcard. Right. Well, he said, the magic man told me the answer would be right here. And he yeah. taps his breast pocket yeah. and he realizes the postcard his dad gave him is right there. And the postcard essentially is his dad being like, New York's a cool place. We'll check it out sometime. Love, dad. The Empire State. What's that? A rhino? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was written (laughs) (laughs) mid-death. That's my favorite bit is when people like (laughs) write out their death sounds. Gargle, gargle. Oh, no, stop. Always. God, there's some fucking Terry Pratchett Discworld joke where someone opens a fortune cookie and it's like, help, I've fallen in the fortune cookie machine. Oh, no, I'm about to die. And the guy's like, these just aren't funny anymore. (laughs) They do that in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's like the. So good. Always good. Always funny. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's sort of the I want song. Of, of selling all of them on the idea of New York City, which Centipede is obviously hugely into because he's a Brooklyn boy. Right, he's yeah. from there. Centipede's such a fucking good character. You, we already said it, but I agree with but you. He's like a bullshit artist. Mm-hmm. Supremely confident in everything. Right. He's kind of got the attitude of like a cabbie yes. slash, you know, new stand owner. <laughs> Never stop smoking a cigar. He's always got a <laughs> on cigar. Yeah, chomping. Uh, he's got like a perpetual, his mouth is like, yeah, like because he's always got a cigar. He's got this in incredibly it. long sideways mouth, and he wears like suspenders, yes. yep. a little cabbie hat, yep. Yep. a shirt with many arms in it to mm-hmm. fit his yes. arms through. Yes. But the suspenders are cool. The extra long suspenders are very cool. Yeah, he's the he's my favorite. Although Miss Spider, well, mm. they're all great. They're all yeah, they're great. all great. As they're all said, lovely. Yes. Um. But so then the mission becomes: How do we get to New York City? Right. So then he cuts that first music group musical number. Then first action sequence is rolling down the hill. Yes. Centipede cuts, cuts the stem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then how do we take flight? Yes. Yeah. Um. So wait. So first, wait, do they end up in the ocean first and have to deal with the sharks? Yes. Yes. That's the first uh, action sequence. Yes. In the, right. Yep. Um, so that's fun. Mechanical but it's not sharks. sharks. It's or you okay, mechanical sharks. It's the pirates shark. and the mechanical yeah, yeah, shark, yeah. right? You know. Well, no, at first, first it's just is hooking the birds, right? Is that first? That's what I couldn't remember. Is that is that second or first? Maybe the birds maybe right. was first, and then yeah. the shark comes, and like we have to hurry up right. and get the rest of the birds, right? Because they need some uh, okay. time to like figure right. out how it they're going to do. It sort of overlaps, yeah. right? Yeah. Sorry if you know this movie's I've just watched it, but weirdly, yes. the, it's episode. The plot doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But James yeah. is kind of like sheepish at first, like when they're trying to think of ideas. He's like, I- "I'll say it though, you know." And mm. then it's like he has a good idea. Mm-hmm. It's cra- this. Is, okay, thank you for bringing this up. This is the thing I love about this movie. Mm. Yes, he goes. You're like, a kid we- watching this movie, and you've 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 had that experience of feeling timid in a room, correct? In a group. But he goes like, "We could." No, never mind. And and Miss Spider's like, no, say it, James. Right. Uh, Time, and Spiker would have shut him down. Time Bandits is another movie that I think does this well. Okay. 
the sort of like uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. Kids should be listened to, right? Mm-hmm. right, 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 right you should right. listen to what they say. And it's a classic kid anxiety. It's yes. like I, you know, I'm just gonna get no laughed one can hear at. Me. No one understands stupid. me. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. But like, Time Bandits has the crazy ending where it's like he tries to warn his parents and they don't hear him, even still after he's gone on this journey. Right. But it's this thing that's so lovely, especially after he's had these fucking horrible abusive aunts, that the bugs like want to hear what he has to say right. and are so proud of him when he comes up with anything. Um, uh, right. They're very supportive. Idea, it's And it's a real collective. Mm. Yes. This is not some tale of like the bugs are at war with each other. No. Because like, you know, I'm a spider and I don't centipedes like centipedes. start shit with everyone he's, he's a little a bit. But they come to love him. Uh, but yes, no, they like, and it, it leads to the, I mean, well, the family song comes later, but yes. The family song is, it's after eating the peach. But when they're all like sort of triumphant, they go like, and it was all thanks to the brilliant idea from James. Like they they just really, they want to boost this kid. He's not had a lot of W's. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's been kind of in his L era, one might say. Uh, so yeah, it's good. He needs, he needs some wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what else happens? I mean, Mrs. Spider uses, uh, I mean, her webs to hook the, uh, the birds. I like that her web is just like, there's a hatch on her back and a, like a a spool spool, comes out that she's like mechanical. Right. I also feel like she looks like her, her legs are just the armatures they use under stop motion puppets, like not even dressed. That's interesting. I mean, she's got these boots, the boots. that are like six feet high or whatever, right? Yeah. Like she's got these giant boots, which are cool. But yeah, her legs are sort of mechanical looking. They look like corkscrews. Right. They or look whatever. like they have hinges in yes. their knees as well. Like, glow, Glowworm looks like uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, right? I mean, her whole <laughs> bit is that she hangs out inside like the little the little lamp. She has power over like light. Star. Yeah. Whenever they're like, turn the lights on. Then right. The whole peach gets lit. Um, she's cool. And then just the black and white aesthetic she's got going on is cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yes, the, you get to the peach number, which... Uh, Are we going to talk about how the shark is mechanical? Yes, let's mechanical talk about it. Let's shark. talk about Because I don't think we can ignore that. But this is the book logic shit where it's like, where's the rhino in the clouds? What's the shark? A robot. <laughs> it's a robot shark. It's very cool design. Like the it giant mouth that sharks. kind of winnows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the the art style too, the way the, the way it's animated looks yeah. so incredible. It really feels like the illustration has come to life. It's sort of that, steampunky. That particular the way like, the teeth object. spin. It's yeah. also which it's, becomes its downfall eventually. It is wild to me that like when they throw the thing back. Selleck has made five movies, in, and in each of group, the movies sure. has a different design language. Mm. Mm. Like okay. he he does a thing I like about him is he brings on different people and sort of designs a world off of their style rather than like. You cannot You're quantify right. what the Henry Selleck style is because the first movie he's obviously working off of Tim Burton. Yeah. This movie he's working off of Lane Smith. And Roald Dahl or whatever. Right. Yeah, Monkey yeah, Bone, yeah. I don't know who it is, but you're taking this like underground cartoonist art style. Yeah. Uh, Coraline, it's, it doesn't look like the David McKee illustrations. McKee, yeah, no, it doesn't. I mean, Coraline... But, but it like, has its own look. It does. I mean, the characters sort of have the big exaggerated heads and yeah. faces like here, well, they like look James like, here. They look like dolls in but Coraline. The, yeah, and Coraline is a little different. And right. It's, I mean... I also feel like... What a masterpiece. As a kid, I would read Wendell all these. Wild, they look very different, I would say. Right. Yeah. I think all his films look you different. Saw that, right? I did. Love I it. think they all have a different design sensibility. And uh, 
as a kid, I would read all the like art of making of books for animated films. And you'd see these concept drawings, character designs, where you're like, that's so cool. Why can't it look like that? Mm -hmm. The thing you hear so often from people who work in animation is they just end up going back to like, let's do the simplest, roundest, cleanest version of the design. But you look through like the art of Toy Story book and there's a draft where like William Joyce designed every single character. And you're like, fuck, that's cool. What if they all had that distinctive a look or any of those things? Selleck's one of the only directors in animation where I feel like he will actually just pick one of the weirdest interpretations of one of the concept artists. Yeah. William Joyce's Buzz. Oh, my God. Kind of cool. I love it's that. so surprising. If you can yeah. look at William Joyce's Rex. I'll try and but this is what I'm saying. He'll, like, bring on different illustrators. I think it starts, it maybe stems from the fact that his first film is riffing on someone else's art style in its very inception, right? But he'll, like, bring on different designers, and then he'll just be like, you designed the aesthetics of this film, and this is a movie where every character looks like an incredibly cool, rejected concept design, where Disney was like, that's too weird, you can't do that, you have to make it look more normal. And mm-hmm. what I love about what he does with it is that even the most complex little bits of the designs yes. move yes. independently. Like, I'm looking at uh, Night Before Christmas right now, and I'm remembering how Jack Skellington's little collar... His bow tie, yes. It, like unfurls and furls all the time. Yes. It it feels like he just gets so excited at the potential of, oh my God, wait a second. If Centipede has suspenders, then we can use that. Mm-hmm. He can repel himself. Like, he's a guy who just gets so excited by the possibilities of motion with these characters. I can't find his Rex, which is too bad because I want to see it. But it's now I'm wild. just thinking about Dinosaur Bob and what, yeah. how much I love that one. It looks wild. Yeah. The biggest a- concept art mm-hmm. thing for me was when... I saw designs for um, Frozen uh-huh. and Elsa or the character that like later became Elsa had this like ermine like cloak. Yes. Like, you know, like a, you know, like, like a queen would have like white fur thing. I'm going to show you but right now the, what you're talking about. They were, all, the the little guys were alive, the little ermines and they would yeah. look, look at them. Yeah. Look at that. Can oh, you wow. imagine? That was when it was going to. Like Elsa as a villain, oh. too. And right, right. She was going to be a they straight villain. On the sister thing that became the most successful thing in the history of movies. <laughs> a very profitable change. Let it go. Let it go. Um, but oh, yes. Fuck, this is cool, though. Look at this gif. It, uh, so I mean, good. the whole thing with Frozen to me is like, even if you keep the story as it is, yeah. I would just love to see it. But as this a, is the thing. Yeah. You look at things like this and you go, God, I wish the whole movie looked like that. And yeah. Selick movies are the movies where I think the whole movie looks like that. Yeah. Right. And, and I, not only I, that, the ideas like, this. what if everything oh, moved all the time God. are actually <laughs> seen through to completion. What? It's a furry David's drawing of Frozen what is like Let me see. I don't want to see that. Oh, I don't like this. This sucks. Well, I Googled her <laughs> Elsa Frozen Ermine, well, no, that, and guess what? <laughs> People took it in a certain direction, okay? Uh, a thing, I talked a lot about Selleck's camera movement in the Nightmare episode because that was so revolutionary with stop motion that he was like, I'm going to shoot this like it's a live action film. Right. And Nightmare has these crazy, like, Maxo Fools, like, sort of sweeping, endless movement shots. Yes. This has a little bit less of it, mostly because it takes place in pretty contained spaces. Right. Uh, even when they're you're outdoors, you're on a peach in, in the int middle of peach. Yes. Into peach. <laughs> X to peach. Yeah. Well, Those are the two main locations X of the film. Top of peach. There's a thing that happens less in this film, although it does happen a little. It happens a lot in Nightmare, and I forgot to mention it. That he does that is astonishing. What's that? Henry Selleck will like have his characters if they gesticulate wildly out of frame, especially because he has characters with such extended limbs. Long right? Arms, yes. The camera will like slightly 
pan a little mm-hmm. bit to catch their arm extending. Mm-hmm. That is cool. As if there is like a human cinematographer trying right. to catch up with what that actor is doing on that tape. Gives he will it, do it that. It makes it feel less static, right? right? It makes it feel more like a real thing you're watching. Some of the scenes where Grasshopper is walking, I noticed especially when he's getting in in this peach, delicious peach musical number and he starts stomping in the peach like, like it's a fucking wine stomping or right. whatever. When he walks up the, the stairs that are being formed by Inchworm, the camera is like struggling to keep up with him. There's shit like that where he just understands the logic of, and it's like, that that makes everything so much more difficult. To not just involve camera movements, but involve camera movements that feel like they are unexpected. Right. But it does ground you in a certain reality of making the thing feel real. Right. You know, because you're playing with the language of what you know, quote unquote, real movies look like. And there's that sort of choreography. Nightmare has the same thing where it's like, he doesn't have that much dancing in his musical numbers, but the choreography of the movement is so specific. Characters are so perfectly timed with each other where like on the lyrics of the song, Inchworm is contorting himself into stairs for him to walk up perfectly at the moment he wants to step into this bucket. Oh, that's great. I think every preparation of peach looks great. The thing I think looks most delicious is the peach beer. Mm. Sure. I would drink that. And I also like that this musical number gives everyone their own like little silo, uh, siloed off solo in their own style. Mm. Um, I just wanted to, though, say before we get to the eating of the peach, mm-hmm. a favorite trope of all time of a young Ben is when character be hungry <laughs> and didn't know what he was gonna say <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden he look at his friend uh-huh. they, they turn to a <laughs> dang roast, <laughs> yes. hot roast someone turns into a, a turkey leg or whatever <laughs> it's still to me i'm like it's still the funniest thing. yeah and it's, it's funny so funny in this movie too because they turn into food that they kind of look Yes. That they evoke, yeah. yes. like Grasshopper turns into a bottle of wine and a wedge of cheese. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so they like, right, it's not even physically. It's the same shapes, but also the attitude. Right. These characters are so crystallized. Like, they're so locked in on these different types. It's also just funny where it's like, we're used to this trope of what you're talking about. They're stranded at sea. They're so hungry and starving. The fact that they have to be reminded that they live inside I know, I know. He's like the one. Right. And that the song turns into not just like, oh, we have this endless food supply, but like we can prepare it anyway. Yeah, but I remember that stressing me out, especially in the book when I was a kid. I was like, well, don't eat too much. can't eat the whole goddamn thing. You need yeah. to live in this thing. Yeah. That's another good bit, too, that I feel like is a very Ben bit when they need to get the attention of the the birds to hook them. And they use inchworm as bait. Yeah. 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 Wiggling yeah. him out at the top. Yeah. it's. I mean, because that's mischievous. Yeah. I love inchworms. He's got, like, the shape-changing sunglasses. expression. That reflect his expressions. That's good. But I'm, come on, uh, do we do we talk about the pirates enough? Well, that's I'm the next thing. No, yeah, no, I'm that's going, next I'm going thing. I know, I know. Here. I'm trying to figure out what we're missing. Right. Here. So yes. they realize they're lost. Yeah. They need a compass. Centipede falls asleep at the right. We we oh. yes. <laughs> no, he navigates. The they thing. get frozen. They're stuck in snowy territory. They're going to end up in New Jersey. They realize there's a pirate ship at the bottom. They need to go get a compass. And Centipede has like pissed everyone off. Right. So he heroically jumps to the bottom, even though everyone thinks it's pesticide. Right. Because he has to prove his worth. And we get to the sunken pirate ship, manned by 
Jack, Jack Skellington. Skellington. <laughs> yep. Donald Duck. Yep. Then there's like a brute. Yep. There's one classic sort of like striped shirt pirate. It's a good gang. It's a good gang. One guy looks like a Viking. Mm. Um, yeah. They're, I they're guess fun. it's kind of like the idea of like all of these different sort of like all these characters have ended up in this frozen yes. land, like the pirates, the Vikings, yes. they've all sort of gotten the stranded in the same place. The ducks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like a ship graveyard. Right. A ship well, graveyard. well, Don yeah. Duck's a sailor. Right. It's different types of nautical characters. Right. Uh, I like that Centipede literally calls him a Skellington. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think they literally, like, I think the origin of this, they literally had like jack heads. Yeah. And they were just like, well, we can use these. It's easy. Save us money around. if one of the yeah. characters is Jack. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's nice. I mean, because he doesn't work that much considering how big Nightmare is. These are really his only two movies. Oh, uh, wait. He, okay. He wasn't in. Um, he's he's in Judge Joe Retaliation, but it's a small part. Beat me to it. I was trying to think of just some fucking irrelevant movie for him to be in. He's in Journey 2, The Mysterious Island. Yeah. I think he's um, in OnlyFans now. He, he does, does have only fans, and yeah. it's actually who are we talking good. about? Jack Skellington. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't judge, but he seems sad. That's the problem with Jack right, Skellington's only fans. People should do whatever they want to do, right. but right, he doesn't. Actually he doesn't seem, seem happy. It. Yeah. Look, let me give you his I'm, bony dick. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see it. Uh, I'm reading some Lane Smith quotes right here. Okay. Uh, about how he designed these characters, he mm-hmm. wanted the spider to be sexy, so he was stumped for a long time on how to do that. <laughs> well, mission Please. accomplished. His big, his how big inspiration was Diana Rigg in the Avengers. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, the earthworm. He was like, give him sunglasses because he's blind, and he's got um, the little collar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. cute. Um, he he kicked the silkworm out because the silkworm is a lump in the corner that doesn't move. He just thought it was like boring. Bad. Yeah. Um, there's this whole thing I forgot to mention that Selick is like mad that Tim had stolen a lot of artists for Mars attacks. Oh, like he was kind of vacuuming up talent again. Look, Selick sometimes sure. makes things sound very bad. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like he has sort of a negative view of uh, life. Um, but he was like, Tim is like vacuuming my, my animators mm. to uh, to go do Mars Attacks. Well, that was the thing. Mars Attacks was going to be stop motion. It was, right. And then they it, eventually it go to ILM. It was late in right. the game that they switched to CGI. You can see there are a lot of tests. Yeah. Which probably would have been fucking cool as shit. Well, it's like Harryhausen shit. Yeah. Like, it was perfect. I, I remember when they did the Burton exhibit at MoMA, they had the videos on a loop and they had the stop motion puppets. It was the exact same design. It looked exactly the same. When they did it in CGI, they just scanned the puppet, but it was going to be done in a Harryhausen style. So I think, yeah, he absorbed most of those people. Uh, the uh, the centipede had twenty joints in the face yeah. alone because of the the cigar that was like really hard to do in so stop motion. Mushy. Yeah, like yeah. I just like that they all have different textures Me too. too. It's it's that thing. It's a thing I like about Toy Story. Uh huh. Is that you can have characters with completely different because aesthetics of the universe. coexisting, right? Because it because of the it's like any toy is a toy, so right. right you and can these have... toys were made by different companies, right. so they have different styles. And yes. this movie basically, even though they all come out of Lane Smith, chooses to be like different design rules for each character. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do, do. like Peach, he looks spongy. Peach was six feet tall. It's pretty cool. Very cool. Uh, what are you what are you googling there, Emma? I'm just looking at centipede pictures. He looks like the stinky cheese man. He's he's the centipede is probably the closest yes. to the stinky cheese man. That's both the kind of classic Lane design. Smith like sort of collage face, different like triangle shapes. nose. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
it, I mean, it is crazy to think about essentially so like working with two crews. Yeah. Like, you know, moving between like doing this live action photography and the yeah. stop motion stuff. There's two listed DPs on this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing they worried about was that the peach looked too much like a butt. That's got that big ass crack. Yes, it does. Um, my favorite number is family, which is the one that comes after the pirate the sequence when they're also a triumphant. Yes. There's a little moment that I think is really nice when uh, uh, Ladybug compliments Spider on a good job. Mm-hmm. It, it, especially in stop motion and things like this where an animation is still so expensive and films are kept to such a short running time, when people choose to include moments that small, it uh, says a lot Yeah, to me. no, I agree with you, yes. Especially because, right, in stop motion, every moment is fucking a lot of work, so... Yes. Um, and I think this number is really sweet. It's when James puts together that Grasshopper was the one who played the music he heard outside his window. Right. I sent this this number to you and JJ over text the other night because mm-hmm. I think it's just so visually inventive. When you're saying that we were a family. Well, yeah. But also, uh, JJ, our researcher, was saying, like, it bums him out. His daughter is three now. Right. And he's, like, watching all these movies and reading about Selleck. And he's like, I feel like she's just a bit... A little young. A right. little bit Not too young. Not quite ready. Yeah. But then he was also like, on the other hand, I showed her the Nightmare trailer. She thought the thing with the shrunken head in the present box was funny. <laughs> we go to Walmart. Everything is Jack Skellington. If you're, like, walking around stores in October... In October. When right, we go exactly. to the grocery store, everything is fucking Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, maybe she's not too young. And then the next day, my friend Derek, my oldest friend, friend whose daughter is three going on four, and said to me, he was like, I'm not going to say his daughter's name, has gotten like obsessed with Jack Skellington now. And I was like, really? And he was like, he's a cool MFer. She saw saw it around. And then I like played her a couple of the songs and I've showed her some of the images. I haven't tried watching the movie. Now she loves This Is Halloween. Like, it is so. I was saying to JJ, he was like, "I don't know if you can watch it yet." And James and the Giant Peach is the one that is like has the scariest stuff in it. I would argue of any of the Selleck movies. I think hmm. the stuff with the aunts is incredibly bleak. The rhino, some of the shark skeleton pirate stuff is like true. a little more harrowing. When this movie comes out, James was four, my brother. So I was like comparing it against that, right? And I knew that he loved it and he was a kid who would get fairly scared at movies. But there are things like the family number that are like genuinely sweet and tender and sort of soft and pleasant in this movie, more so than the other Selleck's. I think it's funny. I was just talking to my friend Claire. The the resting space of this movie is more pleasant than the other Selleck's. Yeah, the peach is such a warm, happy place. Yeah, and they're so nice to each other. They do be nice. I was talking to my friend Claire, and she said, like, Coraline, when she was a kid, was so frightening. Yeah. The concept that she couldn't watch it. Right. Coraline is his most, well, he, nightmare is horror I as mean, well. You have to kind of remove Monkey Bone because that's its own thing. But yeah. he, like, he taps into pretty primal sort of fairy tale as, fears. And you haven't seen Wendell and Wilde yet, but Wendell and Wilde, similar thing. Mm-hmm. As a yeah, gathering. You'll see. Yeah. Do you want to see my daughter holding her Jesse bath toy? Oh my God. I'm sorry, who got that for her? You did. That's Thank what I'm showing you. Because uh, she was trying to take her baby, which is a doll, to okay. daycare. And I'm just like, I just don't want her to do it because I'm afraid it'll like get lost or uh-huh. whatever. She would not fucking let go of Jesse. So hey. she walked in with Jesse. Hey. Anyway. Um, got some future present Interesting ideas thing about the songs. Yeah. Do you know who Selleck's first choice was? Huh. Uh, not Elfman. No. Someone who usually works in movies or not? A pop musician, a great uh, musician. Kate Bush? Elvis Costello. Uh, 
Ooh. Wow. Uh, he threw that out to Disney and uh, Selleck said their alarms went off and they said, too weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Would love to see that. Yeah. His second choice was Andy Partridge from XTC, who wow. actually wrote a, like a demo. And he said it was very beautiful, but Disney couldn't make a deal with him. And so Randy Newman, who was Disney's pick, came in. Comfortable. Yeah. And it's at that time, he'd just done yeah. Toy Story and, you know. Um, uh, but he liked the Randy stuff. He wanted British music hall music is how Sel yeah. puts it. And he said, Randy, like, got that. I think like, this is very outside of his usual it is. style. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, the song he sings at the end is the one that sounds like a Randy. Newman I mean, song. it's weird that they get to New York and then they all sing. I love LA, but apart from that, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, they do this family sequence, which is just lovely. I love the shot of, I mean, I also just think the fucking design choice of the, um, the fence from the peach rolling down the hill becoming the weird spiral staircase around the peach. Love it. It's such a good idea. Gives them so much latitude in terms of making the thing feel less claustrophobic because mm-hmm. it's like there's more space that can explore. Mm. But that end of family where they're all like dancing up the staircase and then it turns into the mobile and they're one of the planets in the sky. They're the sun. <sighs> it's cool. It's, it's good it shit. It is cool. I mean, I feel like I'm. You're more into this movie because you. It's more rooted in your so childhood. Yeah. But like rewatching this movie, I was. It was exactly as I remembered. I was just like, it's. It's. There's no foot put wrong. You right. know what I mean? Like, there's no moment in it that feels wasted or pandering. And obviously, just what which an incredible thing. Technical. That's what I'm saying. An artistic achievement. Yeah. It's not like a lot of Disney movies from this era, the late yes. '90s, where you're starting to see like, just kind of like crass, sort of like. Kid stuff creeping in. No, that and feels everything like in this feels very specific. Yeah, and individualistic. Um, Things like where's like this, or it's like a mechanical shark or a cloud rhino. You're like, how did they get this in? How did yes. they like sneak this by? Yes. It's wild, right? Mm. So that's the final thing after the family sequence. Is he sees the rhino? He has the final confrontation with the rhino. Yes. He has the, the dream. Sky. I don't know when oh, the dream yes. comes in. We have to talk about the dream. The, the dream is fascinating. Beautiful. Right, where it's like it's like cut out photos yeah. on puppets. It's like a collage. It's very Terry Gilliam. Yes. yes. But it's three-dimensional. Like they're taking photographs on top of models. Right. And he's he's, he's a, caterpillar. a caterpillar. And he's eating a peach or something. Yeah. And then the ants come. Uh-huh. And they've spray they they're like, well, we're gonna get you. And they spray the poison. So then does he wake up from that and face the rhino? He the rhino's in the dream. Right. This is also, like between something. I don't know when Spiker it, this happens and, in the movie. Uh, uh, Sponge show up in the dream too. They're like, yeah, Rah! that's what we're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. The yeah. ants. Yeah. But there is the oh, oh, right. When every time you say ants, the human I think ants. Of ants, the ants. Because <laughs> um, I keep thinking, do I want to be an ant? Mm. Mm. There's the final confrontation with the rhino where he yells at it in the sky and yes. says, "You're not real." Yes, yeah. that's yeah. after. That's I'm not well Although the this. rhino is very much real and it did eat his parents. I know that's what's wild. But I guess it's like maybe it's like. He he has to conquer his fear yeah. of that. Or yeah. good for him, like it worked. Mm. But he's wrong. That the rhino, rhino does exist. He's real, and I hope it will be brought to justice. <laughs> yes. Because rhinos shouldn't be the eating people willy nilly. Yes. I don't know how fair I need it to be. <laughs> Maybe it's unfair. 
Did they eat them or did it just trample them? It, to no, death? It, this is the it thing. Ate it, them. It, 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 Doll and the movie both specify that the rhino yeah. ate them, which is not something that rhinos do. No, they the eat people. They're herbivores. The look of the rhino is like incredible it too. Is. It looks yeah. so good. Yeah. Like hippos, hippos will chomp a person. They don't want to swallow sure. them. They, they got those big mouths. They're so dangerous. But I don't look at a rhino and go, like, what I'm afraid of from this thing is the mouth. The mouth. I'm like, I don't right. want to get spiked. The mouth's almost hard to identify. Yeah, exactly. On a rhino. It's a little like, hidden. This thing is all spiked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really looking past the horn. He has this final confrontation with the rhino, and then he he wakes up. Yeah. The light's flickering. Yeah. He magically turns back to a human boy. He sure does. He crawls out of the peat. Well, hold, thing, hold on, the hold thing's on, We're skipping stuff. Okay. Sorry. We're skipping. We skipped God, some of the pirate stuff. Okay. We skipped the fact that the centipede goes in. Yes. Because he failed. I said that. You said I did that. Say that. Yes. But then Spider and James go in after him. Yes. To save him because they're like, well, he, we need to help Family. him because he's our friend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Camaraderie. Sure. And, and then I, they're in a storm, right? They get stuck in a storm. Yes. Which is what where the which lightning. Is, that's when, they when the rhino end come. up in New Jersey. Right. right. That's the storm over New Jersey at the perpetual yeah. hurricane. Yes. Right, New Jersey's just a cyclone at yeah. all times, just dropping wolf spiders on children's heads. Um, yeah, and then they they end up. I mean, it, it, they they get speared by the Empire State Building. I mean, it's a great image. I think the all of the bugs get kind of uh, they in the storm. They all get scattered. James right. is like, I'm they're trying to hold on the, to the birds. Right, right. they right. go up with the birds. Yes. He stays on the peach, so they get separated. Yes, and he ends up on top of the Empire State. Right, and building. has his his confrontation. Right. Right, gets yes. knocked out, wakes up. He's like, where's that damn building? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, what Am I really moment. in New York? Yeah. yeah. Where's the Empire State Building? Kid, you're on top of it. And then the like <laughs> the, the 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 zoom out mm-hmm. to like weird construction paper, Empire State Building, and the like most classical, like <laughs> Randy Newman New York music. Look. Anytime I forget where I am, I just look around until I see the Empire State Building. I'm like, right, New York City. That's right. But it's another thing I love. It's like you talking about how tiny the set is for the house at the beginning in live action. This like, oh, you're in the middle of New York City. Here's the Empire State Building. The set seems six inches wide. It's like one tiny street corner. It reminded me of the Hudsucker Proxy miniatures. That's exactly the vibe. My favorite aesthetic of all time. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. If a giant peach slimed me... From way up above, mm-hmm. I'd freak the fuck. Oh, you wouldn't like that? <laughs> like an know. air conditioner drip. I'm like, what the fuck was that? I guess a sticky I, peach like yeah, syrup. As much as I love a peach, I do I love would, a peach, but you don't, you know, when it gets all over your hand it and it's all sticky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, it would ruin my fucking day. Yeah. I could not stop thinking about that while I was watching this movie. Like, they're so sticky right they're now. So sticky. They're, they'd they are, they be, sticky be sticky the whole time. Oh, yeah. There's no water to wash themselves off. Like. I just, I, I love that New York City gets such a bad rap. People like to say we're a bunch of mean grumps. We got a rude toot, mm-hmm. right? right? Everyone in New York, any passerby in the street, you're going to give them the business. They're always saying we never sleep. Yes. We sleep plenty. They say our apple is big. <laughs> They're big going peach, on about damn our it. damn apple. Yeah. Eh, talk about the peach for once. No, but I like that he lands here and everyone is really nice to him and yes. happy and excited and wants to help him. I mean, the cop takes a second to, you know, sort of warm up. Well, right. yeah, you've never seen peach this big before in his life. <laughs> That's true. He has never seen a big, big, big peach before. Uh, the, the little girl with the glasses and the uh, telescope, who's the first one to notice him mm-hmm. on top of it, is this uh, uh, Sirocco Dunlap, who was a writer on the tech. 
Oh, that's cool. JD mentioned it to me, and I I didn't realize that hmm. that is her. Oh, that's so cool. As a child actor, yeah. I mean, I, I how did Spiker and Sponge show up? We don't care. Right? They, they're they just, just there. Drove. They drove through the ocean. The They've been followed. <laughs> right, water spills out of the car. She has crabs on her butt. <laughs> They come, they show up before the bugs show up, right? Yeah. I'm trying to remember yes. the order. Yes. Because that's yes. the whole thing where they're like, it's our peach. And they, the they cop have a is picture like, well, oh, it sounds peach. like it's their right. peach. The cop takes that as face value. <laughs> yes. And then James is like, they are mean. Yeah. They are bad people. And so they <laughs> attack him with axes. I just, I love James has the courage, that moment where he starts saying like, yeah. they were mean. Yes. And everyone's like, what? How could you be mean to a child this cute? They didn't feed cute? me. Yeah, and then they they make the tactical error of trying to kill him with axes, which <laughs> reveals that they are indeed the mean. shift is quick. <laughs> right. saw, like Joanna Lumley when she's cracking her neck, they put such exaggerated sound mm-hmm. effects on it. Like they've really become like these like grand gunyol monsters. <laughs> um, but yes, the bugs come help him. Miss Spider along with the crane operator, they uh, they web up uh, uh, Spiker and Sponge. Spiker yes, and Sponge. Right, yep. My favorite moment in the movie is just. James saying, these are my friends who I was telling you about. And then the cops move the spotlight around, the searchlight around, mm. and they introduce them one at a time, and the audience applauds. That's the not, New Yorkers who are gathered around. That's, that's yeah. what we do It's here. kind of like a Lindbergh vibe, where it's yes. like New York is like, something landed in New York. Let's go check it out. That's Someone's right, but, here. But this has been happening in real time. It's been happening in all of five minutes. Right. And he's like, these are my friends, and people are so invested in the notion of the characters, the inchworm. <laughs> I mean, I Green Grasshopper. Him. I'd want to meet him, wouldn't you? Miss Spider, Mr. Centerpiece. I love I just love it that they each get a little bow. Yeah. It's yeah. a good you're right. I mean and then they all get like a New York specific job. Like they all get a business. Well, that, this is in credits. Them. Right. right. You know, right. like what is it? Miss Spider has like a cool sexy. But you're jumping nightclub. ahead. You're jumping ahead. That's you're the right. End credits. Because they well, for, they, they, they prove that James is the owner of the yes, peach, right. that he can live with the bugs. They eat the peach. They eat the peach. Go ahead. Have a taste. Right. It's not gonna last forever. And then they live in a fucking I mean, peach pit. My favorite thing about the book, the thing I was so I think as a kid, I was just like, the peach is in Central Park and I could go see it. Yes. Even though I never did and I never asked to. In my head, I was like, it's there. It is yeah. true, yeah. Yeah, this like is he truth. does yeah. live in the Peach Pit and it is in Central oh, Park. Oh, another nice moment is when uh, Spiker and Sponge are coming and just trying to drown him out. Mm. It's it's the magic man in the shadows who That's says, let the true. kid yes. talk. Yes. Like he's just gently pushing the story along. Ben's trying to get the credits queued up here. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to I, I want to get these verbatim. There yeah. was something, when you're a kid, the there's headlines. something so liberating yeah. to the idea, even though like I had a happy home yes. life. <laughs> Where you're just like, I just get my own fucking peach pit house and I get to do whatever I want. I got yeah. bug friends. I got bug friends. Or my family, but they're not going to ride me like parents. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of cool. Anything goes. The bugs are like kind of like hip modern Brooklyn parents who like call their children buddy. Yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so, all right. Centipede runs for mayor. Well, I just... Uh, what? He's <laughs> telling the story to the kids. Oh, sure. The magic man reintroduces himself, and yeah. he says... And James had had uh, all the friends in the world. 
Suddenly, he had more friends than he knew what to do with. Everyone, kids would come every day to want to hear the story. And eventually, he thought he needed a way to tell the story to more people all at once. And that is exactly what you've just seen, which is how the book ends, right? Yes. Yeah. Which was a thing that fucking is a when you're mind spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're telling me this is a book and you know that? <laughs> and there's a reason it exists? It makes it feel more real. In that way you're talking about where, like, I believe the peach pit's there because it's like, you're yeah, telling right. me. This is, this is truth. Right. This, this is in this book. was and to book. communicate a necessary truth. I just think right now with the Adams administration doing such a poor job, we need someone like Centipede to yes. enter the mayoral race yes. okay. and clean things up. So let's look up. at these headlines. Centipede enters race. They do the little Brooklyn spinning, boy. The spinning newspaper yes. thing yes. at the end. Brooklyn boy promises the moon and then some. Okay. Next one is, that's the Mercury City. That's what that paper is. The next one is Grasshopper debuts phenomenal four-handed fiddling, <laughs> 20-minute ovation for Brahms Violin Concerto. Pretty the good. other story is Soviet achievement ahead of prediction by three years. All right, fair oh, enough. That's gosh. in the Daily News, of course, yeah. a real newspaper. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next one. Right. Smooth move. We like smooth men. Signs on as skin cream spokesman. This one is very specific. Yes. <laughs> okay, next spinning paper is... Okay, this is Daily News. Dr. Right. Ladybug. Delivers 1,000th baby. She becomes an obstetrician, okay? She's holding, like, one in each arm. Yeah. I guess the idea there is just, like, ladybugs are nurturing? Yeah, it's not, that's not really well, been like established. All right, now. Spider okay. Bubble. This, is, oh, my, this, is, this yes. is my favorite publication. And this paper is on the town. <laughs> God, I would go to her club all it the time. It looks... Her just her beautiful heart shaped face. It somehow it looks like Art Deco. Yeah, you right. know, yeah. like it yeah. looks really. It's like classy. some Art Deco burlesque joint. Yeah. I would be here Lavish every Friday opening. night. Jazz dinner dancing. Oh, fuck. Oh, I love all those things. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. All right, and then we have glowworm. Right, glowworm oh, shines. I love another that. daily. The news. glowworm becomes the light in the torch in the Statue light. of Liberty. Yeah, saves. City of New York, millions in power. Great. Damn, we're spending too much money on that goddamn torch. And then this is my favorite one. Aww. Daily News. Family celebration. Fa excuse me. Family <laughs> celebration. Surprise party delights okay, James. Okay, look. I'm not trying to be rude, but was this a slow news day? <laughs> There's nothing going <laughs> on. One kid had a birthday? The uh, lead is he was delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like fucking dog bites, man. I mean, even, if he's not delighted, then I'm interested. Even as a kid, I'm meeting this movie very earnestly. Yeah, I remember that that feeling like that wouldn't be the front. <laughs> like that's at best a six. That wouldn't. Even if it, they, the photo was front page. Right. Then it's like look inside for, you know, it's right. essentially a party report. But you're like, right. no, there's a full column there. Surprise going, party man. delights, James. That's the last one. Is that one. it? Yeah. Is there it anything else? On his face. I think it like zooms nice in like the end yeah. of The Shining. Yeah. It does zoom in like the end of The Shining. <laughs> He's been at the surprise party the whole time. I mean, and they're all there. Look at their little they're faces. They're all there, which all is there. nice. And then, yeah, we're rolling credits. The Randy Newman song starts playing. Movie yes, the, the fifth song, of course, Good News. Be your paper spinning fast. James, um, birthday. Someone had to clock out work early. Let me see <laughs> if there's anything else interesting in the dossier here. Uh, they use 24 stages. Fuck, that's crazy. Um, uh, the peach was six feet tall. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. I'd love to see that peach. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they got it anywhere. Yeah. I think they got rid of it. it should be at the Academy Museum. Um, or the Louvre. Yes, they should put it. They should roll it to the loop. They should roll it all the way over to the loop. <laughs> um, 
Selleck, uh, you know, did want the live action to feel phony, opera set, Love it. kind of monochromatic. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. He loves Ray Harryhausen, so he was very into the sort of interplay of stop motion and live action in the end there when they're yep. in New York. Uh, he wanted it to land. He wanted New York to feel like a Busby Berkeley musical. Yeah, like he didn't want them to land in like nineties New think York. He nailed it. Right. This well, was in like, a weird back situation. The yeah. really old like police cruisers yeah, exactly. cuttering down yeah. the street. And as you said, the line of newspaper men in the phone booths oh, yelling yeah. out their headlines. They've got their little scratch pads on. What are their fucking lines? Like peach pit pummels. Oh god, I, I wish I'd written it down. It's like three great lines in a row. Yeah. Um CGI was handled by Sony Imageworks. Okay. They do do some uh right. I told you that he wanted uh, Elvis Costello. Uh, first choice for gra- Centipede was Fisher Stevens and then Bruno Kirby. Interesting. He had to be talked into Richard Dreyfus because Dreyfus was like in the Disney, uh, you know, um, stable. Stable because of Holland's Opus. Right. Um, I, I can see them on a bigger name. It's surprising, though, that he like. Dreyfus do- basically does a great Bruno Kirby in this. Yeah, it's true. Right. He does Kirby nail probably it. would have crushed it. Yeah. Um, Susan wasn't 100% behind it at first for Sarandon. Uh, sometimes actors who haven't done voices before don't really realize that we care and it has to be great. It took her a while to take it seriously, but then we started showing her the puppet and she mm. found a way into the role. She was like, this is fucking hot. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I look like this. Um... Uh, Simon Callow, uh, six months went by. We hadn't finished recording recording him because he'd been off directing operas. Wow. Uh, Miriam Margulies, obviously, a total pro because she was yeah. in Babe, which yeah. she's amazing in that. Yes. When they were shooting the live action, she was just like, I can do a voice. Like, cool. have me do a voice. Cool. Because I'm good at that. Yeah. And obviously, her voice is very different. Mm-hmm. Like, she's doing yeah. a completely yes. different performance. Yeah. Uh, film got good reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert says that uh, it had brought stop motion to a new plateau, saying the movement was so fluid, he didn't understand how it was even possible. Um, yeah, Maslin thought it was great, a technological marvel. I do feel like this is the thing with a lot of these reviews, though, is it's like it's a focus on the technical side. Yeah, I mean, I was even just looking here, like Owen Gliberman called the live action segments crude. Like, there's that. There, I found a lot of that where people were just like, why is this so nasty? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm... they should shut the fuck up. Um, Annie Awards that year. Okay. What are the big, I mean, Hunchback obviously is the big, big animated well, this movies. This is what was uh, kind of fucked up, if you ask me. Okay. I guess they were still working at a weird, like, oh, it's films from this date in this year to this date in this year. Oh, that's annoying. It's since last ceremony rather than within calendar year. So it loses to Toy Story. To Toy Story. That's weird. It loses to Toy Story. This is why the Annie's are no good. I, yeah. It loses to Toy Story, which also wins directing. It wins producing. Yeah, well, Toy Story was kind of a big hit. Picture. I don't know if you've seen that film, but it's actually pretty uh, good. Randy Newman wins, beats himself for music. Uh, I feel like it won... There was I, no. It got it got it got trounced in all in all areas by this. But listen to this lineup here. It was Toy Story, Balto, whatever, Hunchback, Hunchback. James Hunchback. and the Giant Peach, Ghost in the Shell. Oh, fuck, wow. Ghost in the Shell made the five. Yeah, that is funny to imagine. I know the Andes are not televised, uh-huh. but like a montage of Best Picture where it's like four children's films, then you're cutting in fucking Ghost of the Shell. Yes. 
Well, and this was I love that movie. So it was much. an expanded more nominees, but now they have voice acting for TV and film are two different categories. Sure. This was combined. Rob Paulson wins that year as Pinky on Pinky and the Brain. That's weird. The brain is funnier than well, Pinky is pretty funny though. Pinky's funny. Yeah. Paulson also just a, a legend. Great guy. Yeah. Um oh, come on, Maurice LaMarche. I, no, I know. Here are the other nominees, okay? Sean Connery as Draco Dragonheart. Phoned that shit in. Dreyfus as Mr. Centipede is the one nomination Good job. from Good this job. film. Jonathan Frakes as Xanatos on Gargoyles. The villain from Gargoyles. Yep. I don't think I knew that was Frakes. Not even I Keith didn't David. Uh, Tom Hanks as Sheriff Woody, Toy Story. Unaware of that performance. Tom Hulse as Quasimodo. Yeah. Tony Jay as Judge Frollo. Possibly my winner. I mean, yeah. an amazing performance. Demi Moore as Esmeralda. Sure, she's fine. Three Hunchback nominations. But that's just a wild spread of... Ghost yeah. in the Shell was one of those things that was such a big crossover yes. that it was like in rental stores. Yes. And I would see it yeah. nestled among the cartoons. Yeah. And I would be like, this doesn't belong here. What is this? Yeah. What is this? this like, I wasn't upsetting. even mad about it. I was yeah. just like, I can someone Explain understand this. to me what yes. this is? It's a cartoon. It's clearly not for me. Right. And like, I, no one could because my yeah. mother did not know much about Japanese animation. She failed, yeah. But you know what fucking rules? What? Ghost in the Shell. Box office. This movie okay. flops. It didn't do that well. It made $28 million. It comes out okay. in March, April? It came out April 12th, 1996. Okay. And it opens number two to $7.5 million. Okay. And number one at the box office is a, a legal thriller that was actually a huge hit. Uh, well, no, actually, I take that back. It was it, actually a solid hit. Is it a Grisham? No, but it's in that style. Primal Fear? There you go. I was like, I don't want to give him much. Yeah. I don't want to give him Oscar nomination. I no, but I was him... thinking, I was thinking, I mean... Yeah. It's a William Deal. Have yeah. you ever seen Primal Fear, Emma? Never Do you know it. the twist? Nope. Okay. I won't tell you. It is. I, I tell me. only watched it in the last couple it's of years. It's a movie with a famous twist. I feel like I watched it during the pandemic. I'd argue the twist is the thing that works least well in the movie. Right? I agree, and I also think you see it coming you a do. fucking mile away. I actually think that film is underrated it's as okay. just a... Uh, it's a solid legal thriller. And the more it gets caught up in the machinations of the thing that gave it an edge at the time, the less interesting it is. Uh, and and the and the Norton performance does not hold up very well. It was Edward Norton's breakout performance, and it's one of those classic Edward Norton performances where you're like, God, he's just doing like a thing. I know. You know, I like him as an actor often, but that fucking motherless Brooklyn fucking what else is he? You know, where it's just like, stop doing something. Yeah. Well, come on, there's another obvious one. Uh, well, there's the bit of that in the score. The score, sure. I mean. I think he's amazing in Birdman, which is not even a movie I like. No, I hate that movie. But he's, he's incredible in it. Really good in he's it. Incredible right? Like there's like it. some yes. performances where you're like, God damn. No, I think he's great in all the Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, he is. He's really good in that. Uh but he's good in the Glass Onion. He is. You saw Glass Onion. Oh yeah. What are your what's your take on him in Glass Onion? He's, he's good. good. He's yeah. He's well cast. He's, he's being deployed correctly. A fun character that yes. he can do very well. Yeah. I, I mean, I, he's I good. think I've said this on mic before, but like Romilly saw Motherless Brooklyn and was like, why the fuck would anyone let him make that movie? Mm. He tried. And her perspective is she's just like the fifth guy in every Wes Anderson movie. Oh, because it's been so long since he was like. <laughs> she's yeah. born in 1998. So I said to her, like, Romilly, you need to understand at the turn of the century, he was undeniably he was the guy he's number the one guy. he's the next fucking and i sent her the vanity fair cover story in 1999 <laughs> is there's no doubt about it 
Edward Norton is the actor of his generation. Well. And they're like, he's done four movies. Everyone agrees that he's De Niro. To the extent that when he does the score two years later and it's like Brando, De Niro, Norton, it's like the final anointment of three generations. Uh, anyway. Wild. Number one at the box office. Number two is James and the Giant Peach. Number three is a hit comedy. Hmm. 96. Is it, it a carry? It made $124 million at the domestic box is office. Is it a carry? No. It's a big comedy star. Yes, it is. But I feel like people just forget that this movie made $124 million really? in 1996. Okay. It's not a Robin Williams. It is a Robin Williams. It is a Robin Williams. In 96, so we're post-Doubtfire. We're pre-Flubber. Patch. This is an adult it's not comedy. Patch. Patch is 99. Oh, okay. This is an adult comedy. This is not a family comedy? No. Huh. It's rated R, restricted. Age 1700, require parental whatever. And he's the main guy? He sure is, but it is an ensemble. It is an ensemble. And he's the top guy. It made 120. It's R-rated. Four million dollars. Uh, who, uh, no, and you would, you would take that. I would I take it. it I would take it. I would take it. Absolutely. Oh, the birdcage. Oh, huge ass hit. Birdcage. That was a movie I feel like I remember my parents... Never do this, but they watched it multiple times. That movie was like sort of a seismic cultural yes. moment. And obviously it's got, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it paints with a broad brush or whatever, but people kind of forget that like in the mid nineties, people were like, Robin Williams, Nathan Lane are like a gay couple. I'm going. I, I mean, gotta be Nathan there. Nathan Lane, who was like only a Broadway guy up until that point in time, basically. basically. That's like his big, yeah. No, I, I feel like that movie's been brought up a lot recently yes. in relationship to bros and that film's underperformance at the box office. Yeah. It's obviously a different thing because we have different. like straight creative straight teams, straight actors other than Nathan, Nathan Lane. Uh, but but that movie was such a fucking such a hit. Huge ass hit. Just a people, and, and it's an, again, it's an R-rated comedy. Yes. It's not even like a family comedy. That is like, how I uh, found out that homosexuality existed. Well, sure. I think that's true for a lot of America. <laughs> Wait, what now? What's a going on? A kid at school had seen it, and I was just like, tell me everything, because I was so impressed they had seen an R-rated movie. Right. And I was like, what's it about? And they were like, well, it's a gay couple. And I was like, slow down. <laughs> what do you mean? And they were like, two They're guys date each other. And I was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> I, I remember pushing back on the kid being like, if that happened, I would have heard about it by now. Okay. You're like six years old. <laughs> no one told me. I live in the West Village. What are you talking about? Okay. No gay people around there. I see lots of men who are very close friends. <laughs> number my uncles. Number four at the box office <laughs> yes. is new this week. My uncle's allowed to bring a good friend to Passover. Yes, it's a thing. Sure. Yeah. Fucking shout it's out the to same friend every time for years and they live together. Yeah. Number four at the box office. It's like Bert and Ernie. Yeah. You know, I've been watching a lot of Sesame Street, and their relationship is odd. They don't share a bed. No, they have two separate beds yeah, next to each other. The little I right. love Lucy bed. Like, right. yeah, yeah, they're like a married yeah. couple. With a and a right. <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, I wouldn't want to share I mean, it with Ernie and there was either. This, like, and it, well, pain in the ass. Crackers in bed. Yeah, Ernie is annoying. Ernie. Yeah, he's there was a <laughs> no. pain in the ass. I was well, just, of course no. you'll take the fucking bird <laughs> Okay, side. listen to this. Listen, <laughs> of course. No, Griffin, listen to this. Because I used to think, like, my, yes. my memory of them was like, oh, Bert's a stick in the mud yeah. and Ernie's fun. And then the episode I watched, Ernie, they're trying to go to bed and Ernie's like playing the trumpet in 
bed. Funny. And Bert's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I need to play the trumpet to fall asleep. Yep. And Bert's like, that's annoying. And I'm like, yeah, like, don't do that. Yeah. Well, you know, people have said that you're Bert and I'm Ernie. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it fits pretty well. There was that other meme recently of the like, every podcast is this. And there's obviously there was the Pixar one that was Linguini, Riley's dad from Inside Out, and Al from <laughs> Toy Story 2. <laughs> Sure. That that got circulated for years, and then people yeah, would say it to me, yeah, be like, "I bet you haven't seen this yet." That one got old. <laughs> there was the one recently that was every podcast is this, mm-hmm. and it's Sully and Mike. Uh huh. Right. That's Th- that one good. really feels that's like it nailed good. us to a cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> one's, that one's kind of brutal. Yeah, I'm definitely a Mike, you're and kidding. I'm an Ernie, and you're a Bert. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, number four at the box office. Ernie's funny and innocent. I love him, to be clear, but I just if someone was playing the trumpet in bed, <laughs> I might have something to say about That's that. so funny. <laughs> it is funny. Um, it's a horror film. Okay. It's new this week. Okay. Bit of a cult sleeper hit. Okay, interesting. It's opening to six million. It's going to make like 20, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of a launch for two actors. Huh. It's a launch for two actors. This is a classic movie you see as a teenager, like at a sleepover, huh. when I'm a teenager. Do they make sequels to this? No. No. It's a dead end, but the two actors pop. Yeah. It's basically like X with teenagers. X hit movie with teenagers. I'm sorry. You're saying it's a soft remake of a different film, but with teenagers? It's not a remake of Ty West X 20 years before. No, that wouldn't make any sense. That's why I was confused. Thank you for the clarification. (laughs) Um, okay, hmm. so it's a remake of. Huh. It's not a remake. It's a, it's just this. It's that's the elevator pitch. This move, this hit movie, but right. With teens. It's not like Cruel Intentions, but you're saying it's that kind of thing where it's like we're doing this type of story with teenagers. It shares a star with Cruel Intentions. I'll tell you that much. So is is it a Sarah Michelle Gellar? Wrong. It's not a Reese. It is a Reese. Is it Freeway? No. <laughs> What am I fucking forgetting here? I don't know. This is, movie. Oh, I'll tell you this much. Oh, oh it's called uh, uh, Fear? It's called Fear. The Wahlberg. I'm talking about Inside Out. Mark Wahlberg. And have you never seen Reese Withers? Have you ever seen Fear? No, I have. I get Fear and Freeway mixed up in my mind. Fair enough. Have you seen Fear, Emma? Never seen. Okay. Well, it's Sorry. Good. Fatal Attraction for Teens. It's a good movie. Yeah. Wahlberg's good in it. Yeah. Uh, number five of the box office. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've been waiting to get to this one. Okay. It's in its second week. Okay. It's a it's a comedy, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, sort of like a comedy with a gun. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> sure. where someone's like got a gun on the poster. Yeah. A thing you complained about recently? No, I, I did. Well, I know what I hate is like a comedy where like characters do fucking martial arts now. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and I don't mean like martial arts stars. I mean like you like Josh Duhamel. <laughs> you know, is <laughs> like doing martial one arts. Very specific. Yeah, movie I'm talking about here. that movie. Uh, what I have, you, you like movies starring a kung fu? Like you like a comedy? Oh my god! If there's a kung fu, I'm all in. No, what I remember most about this movie is yeah. it stars like a fair. He's an up and coming. He's a, a big comedy star in the nineties. Okay. The poster is in papyrus. Oh boy! And no one talks about this because no one remembers. Oh this movie. oh 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 oh! I know exactly what film this is. Okay, go ahead. Uh, fuck! It's I got a long to, title. I know. Is it? Is it? It's, Who's it's, the star? It's Martin Lawrence Correct. and Lynn Whitfield. Correct. The movie... Did Martin Lawrence direct this one, too? Uh, did he direct this movie? Yes, he sure did. Thank you. And he wrote it. Okay. It's Is it called The Thin Line Between Love and Hate? Yes. A Thin Line a Between thin line Love between and, love and hate. hate. But, like, 
This was the poster that people yes. put in theaters. Whoa. People saw Describe this. it. Describe this it. David, describe it. the exact it. same thing as that graphic design is my passion. Yeah, name. Exactly. It looks it's, the same. Describe it this looks book. like a wedding invitation. Yeah. A, With bad, a, gun. a, really a bad, bad one. A really bad one. No, no. Someone didn't yes. make an effort. Yeah. No, a Vista print wedding invitation. <laughs> it says Martin Lawrence and Lynn Whitfield. Lynn Whitfield is standing behind Martin Lawrence. They're She's got both. Her Decked out in all white. They're both white kind background. of in wedding outfits. Their yes. bodies kind of disappearing into the background. Lynn Whitfield's got her arms around Martin Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Could be a hug or something more threatening mm-hmm. because they're holding her arms, are uh-huh. holding a pistol, a handgun. <laughs> and she's making a sexy face. She's going like. <laughs> now describe Martin Lawrence's face. He's a little cocked. His, his head's like cocked 15 <laughs> degrees, right? And he's going, what? I mean, how else would you describe it? <laughs> yeah. He's like, she's got a what? And Lawrence Whitfield and A Thin Line Between Love and Hate are all Le- in papyrus. And then what is the tagline, David? Um, while some women are waiting to exhale, this one is ready to get even. Kind of a kind of a damp ending yeah. to that. Like yeah. where some women are waiting to exhale. I'm like, okay, are we gonna make fun of one more movie title within this sentence? I'm also like, it should be like a gun pun. It should be, like, it should be waiting to unload or something. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, you've already plussed this poster right. like <laughs> twice with that. Um, this film was made for $8 million and it made $34 million. Martin it was, was a hit. It was a big deal. Uh, nightclub manager Darnell White, played by Martin Lawrence, uh-huh. is a perpetual playboy and hopeless male chauvinist. <laughs> he works at a nightclub called Chocolate City. And aspires to be the owner. And uh, Regina King plays his childhood sweetheart. And Brandy, uh, Lynn Whitfield plays Brandy Webb, a beautiful and wealthy woman. But she's a femme fatale. I'm always fascinated by people like that where it's like, I, I only had one story to tell. Martin Lawrence is a filmmaker. He was like, I had to write and direct this movie. I needed to get it off my chest. And then I had no interest ever. Did he never direct again? I don't think so. Maybe one of his specials? I don't know. I don't think he directed Run Tell That. Oh, I remember Run Tell That. Do you remember that year at the MTV uh, Music Awards? Uh, go on. And Whoever was no, this hosting. is his only directing credit. Thank you. This is what I'm saying. Any medium whatsoever. Yes. Like Eddie Murphy talks about Harlem Nights. He's like, I didn't like that. I think directing sucks. I never wanted to do it. There. Right. Then yeah. there are people like Charles Lawton where it was like, my movie was seen as a failure. No one would let me do it again. Martin Lawrence just had one story he was dying to get off his chest. Some women are waiting to exhale. From the pen of Martin Lawrence. Um, Whoever was hosting the MTV Music Awards that year, it might have been Jimmy Fallon. Okay. They were like, oh, the show, it's not doing... Fuck, there hasn't been anything funny in a while. Okay. The laughs are dropping. Oh, boy. And they run backstage... And there's a glass case that says breaking case of emergency with a little hammer. Uh-huh. And it's Martin Lawrence inside. And he's just ready and to do 10 minutes. And they break the glass minutes. and Lawrence comes out and does 10 minutes because MTV was about to release Run Tell Dat. I remember Run Tell Dat was one of those things where it was like it has the most offensive words per minute right. of any movie ever. It has the most uses. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Run Tell Dat. Run Tell Dat. Um, yeah. Well, uh that's the top five of the box office. Yeah. You've also got Sergeant Bilko. Then? Funny. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You're that's not just one. you're not just playing over the bit or whatever. I mean, I don't remember it. <laughs> I'm like, See, I, I felt like he wasn't uh, yeah. that passionate. No, you, it was you worth sensed. pushing back on you that sensed. one. That's like a, the most beloved, like 
the uh, Bilko, Phil Silver show is like every comedian was like, that's the best comedy We've writing talked. of all time. I know, I know. It's you like can't they're touch obsessed. That. I know. And then they put everyone in that. Mo- it's Phil Hartman and yep. Dan Aykroyd. Aykroyd and it's Steve Martin. I remember my mom coming back from seeing it. I'm the biggest Steve Martin fan in the world. Chris Rock's in that movie. Everyone is in that movie. Yeah. And she was just like abysmal, yeah. devoid of laughter. Yeah. Not good. Never seen it. Uh, I exi- thought we were talking about. See, I always get it mixed up. You with like Down Periscope Wayne's. and Mikhail Navy, Mikhail's Navy. Mikhail's. You like Renaissance Man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Major no, Pain. Major Pain. See, yes. I, that's what I was. You thinking. like all the other military comedies yeah. of the time. Yeah, because they're kind of like you know goofier, and right. also it's usually an authority figure has to come into conflict with in them. the army now, obviously. Is that the Pauly Shore one? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. We should do a Pauly Shore series. Yeah, we'll do Pauly Shore on Patreon. Biodome is a fucking classic. I think I've talked about, but there's the Pauly Shore on Joe Rogan interview mm-hmm. where he's like, so what happened, man? What happened to your movie career? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. They just took it away from me. Yeah, and he's like, but come on, man. You gotta After have- seven flops in a row, David? Somebody- <laughs> okay. David? Rogan's like, come on, man. Like, what happened? And he was like, because I was, like, really big, man. You know, I was making all these movies and stuff. And he was like, yeah, I mean, you were, like, one of the big comedy stars. And he was like, no, I was, like, the only one. I was the only one who got to make movies. And then he'll be like, what about that other stand-up? And he was like, he made some movies, but I made a lot of movies. And Rogan's like, so then what ended your run? And he's like, I don't know. I have no idea. We made the first movie. It was a hit. We made the next movie. It made a lot less money. We made the movie <laughs> after that. It made less money. Movie after that didn't do so well. Movie after that, big drop at the box office. And then at some point, they stopped letting me make movies. I'm like, you've acknowledged they're all on a downward trajectory. He had like seven strikes at the plate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Rogan's like, so it sounds like they stopped making money. I was like, I don't know. You tell me. No one ever gave me an answer. Um, anyway. 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 We did it. We did it. Yeah, that's it. Executive decision, flirting with disaster, Oliver and Company. Oliver and Company. Re-release. Re-release. Yeah. Is it a good movie? I mean, I haven't seen it since I was six. I think it's good. Co-written by James Mangold. Huh. It's got Billy Joel in it, right? Yeah. He plays Dodger. That's fun. Yeah. It's got kind of a stack. I I haven't seen that movie since I was like negative four years old. Billy Joel, Bette Midler. Cheech Marin. Yep. Dom DeLuise. Joey Lawrence from, uh, you know. Yeah. Blossom. Wow. Remember Blossom. Blossom was me power off on the TV. Yeah. That fucking credits would start, and I'd be like, all right, guys, dinner time for David. I don't want to watch fine, Blossom. Because the younger generation just has the autoplay thing. But there was something right. about like knowing I like this show at this time, and I always see the first 35 seconds of this show before I turn the TV off, and I'll never watch it. Yeah, fuck yeah. Blossom. Anyway, I don't know. Emma, any final thoughts on Bugs? I mean, how many? <laughs> Do we have a few more hours? Go on, Emma. Bug it up. Uh, I mean, bug. They're they're the best, aren't mm-hmm. they? They're so fun. I love them. Where does this rank in the bug canon for you of bug films? Mm. Oh, this is like in the top. Of yeah. Course. Okay. Yeah, this what is else? Great. This is I mean, a, you just watched Prince of Darkness. A bug celebration. Yeah, there's a lot of bugs in that movie. Well, it got turns into bugs. Where do you stand Honey, on? Honey, I Shrunk uh, the Kid is a really yeah big yeah anti bug movie. Yeah. Uh, where do you stand on Bugs Life and Ants? <laughs> I've actually never seen Ants wow. because I think like. They say like bad words in it, and my mom was like, "You can't see them." Yeah, they say bad words in it. Up. Yeah, they say bad words like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> my mom didn't want me and to know like about that. And like starring Woody Allen, <laughs> <laughs> the worst words in the English language. 
Uh, Bugs Life you like, though? Bugs Life, love, love. Yeah. Bugs Life, I think, like, has the same thing as this, where it's, like, a great ensemble cast of yeah. different bugs. Yeah, yeah. With very defined character types and great performance. It's exciting to see the new ones when they appear. I always think about that scene where they go to the big city and there's a daddy long legs walking above them. The, did you, you've rewatched it recently. I had a right? good time. The Bug yeah. City stuff is so good. It is. It just doesn't look that good. The movie, mm. you do feel like much more than Toy Story. The like, they oh push shit. The yeah, limits. Like, it, it, it's creepy. It's still primitive here, right? Yeah. But there's stuff about it I really liked and like the plot is fun. Like yeah. the, the, you know, acting troupe thing is fun. Emma. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you for talking about bugs. Thank you for having me. That's all. That's all I'm here for. Uh, that's not all you're here for. <laughs> it's the it's the first it's the first time after six appearances between Main Feet and Patreon that you've explicitly come on to talk about bugs. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. We'll we'll, we'll get we'll get bugs again. Yeah, bugs. I don't know when. David eyeballing. I don't know. I'm eyeballing the schedule. I'm not seeing any bugs. I'm not seeing any bugs on the horizon. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, helping to produce the show. Thank you to Alex Barron, AJ McKeon for our editing, JJ Birch for our research, Leigh Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song, Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our artwork. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon Blank Check special features where we are doing things that we are currently deciding because we're recording this episode a little bit in advance. No, we're doing the National Treasures. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on here. Um, Yep, National Treasure 1 already landed and then... Coming up is uh, talking the walk, and talking the walk, and then uh, the National Treasure Book of Secrets, Secrets. Yeah. cracking open the Book of Secrets. That's right. You like that book? Absolutely. <laughs> Great. It's so good. It's filled with that movie. So good. Yeah. Ben doesn't kidnap the know. president of the United States. Really ben doesn't know. know how much that movie is about conspiracy theories. He takes that's, a Harris into the mountain. Yep. That's true, though, Ben. It's got some real Illuminati shit going on. The oh National yeah. Treasures. The president's yeah. secret book that yeah. he writes all the secrets. In. The fucking pyramid on the back of the dollar bill. Hello? I get to know these secrets. Book yeah. of Secrets, I guess, does not skimp on the amount of secret secrets? book material. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's not some Hellboy to the Golden Army shit. It's Green. What's his name? The president. Bruce Green. Bruce Green. Bruce Green. Bruce Green. Oh, fucking we, we stand. God. We stand. We were just talking about him on Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Yep. He's so good. Okay. All right. We're done. Next, yeah. Next week, monkey bone. Next week, monkey bone. David's banging the table. I don't, I don't really Have you ever know. seen it? No. I think. I, I, I remember it was so hyped. Yeah. I was like, "Fuck!" And Brandon then, Fraser and this. I'm there. And then salvaged it. Right. It got, I have always maintained that it's good. I have not watched it in 15 years. I'm very eager to rewatch. But at the time, I was America's preeminent monkey bone defender. <laughs> yeah. You were a boner. I was a boner. And next week, we're all going to get boned. Yep. Great. Okay. Goodbye. And as always, bugs. 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 Bugs.